Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, May 28th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And on the line with Steve Say. Go Rangers! And Miss Stephanie Cook. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. So we are back. The gang is all together, though we are in separate places. Um, We actually have all four here together. Um, So that's the first time in a full show in like three weeks. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Um, we're here to review um, X-Men Days of Future Past. But we also have an interview conducted by Stephanie and Steve with Anthony Johnson, writer of Umbral and Fuse. Indeed. So you guys will hear that in just a little bit. Steve, how's yeah. it up How's it up Canada way? Uh, it is hot, man. <laughs> it is. I did not pack. I did not pack for this trip properly. I... Uh, <laughs> Went to go into my suitcase yesterday and grab a pair of shorts, not realizing that I had grabbed my good friend Brendan's pair of shorts that was stuck in my dresser. He is gigantic compared to me, so I had to go out and buy new clothes yet another again to a trip to Canada. But I'm having a very good time chilling out with my girlfriend, watching Star Trek The Next Generation for the first time ever. Uh, nice. Got to go to the movies to see X-Men and uh, just relaxing, man, having a good time. You should just start leaving some clothes there. Isn't that like a thing? I I do. I even have art supplies here. Little by little, I'm stashing <laughs> things around her house. <laughs> you walk in, you like you take out a drawer and you go underneath the drawer and take out like the thing you tape to the bottom of it. Oh, dude, I have my own keys. <laughs> oh, look at that. It's fantastic. I take the bus into town. I go to the comic shop. I grab a <laughs> beer. I come back. It's beautiful. Nice. Yes. Awesome. Mm. It's also <laughs> we're losing Steve somehow. <laughs> Oh man, I got uh, I got my uh, Pirates of the Ineffable Eth- Lady Saber and the Pirates of the Ineffable Ether Kickstarter. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's really, really, really nice. Um, I haven't got a chance to to read it yet, but it's this beautiful. I I mean, I don't even know what call it, like widescreen format book. Yeah. Um, beautifully bound, you know, sewn pages, and um, it comes with the, the these paper dolls that you can cut out that are of the characters from the the story as well as a, pr- a process book, which is, you know, page by page of the script basically with like commentary from Rucka about what, what the process of making the book is like. Um, and artist Rick Burkett as well, Burchett, sorry. And uh, another book that's like a, a guide to the sphere. So a guide to the world written by someone else. So it, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I don't remember. I mean, it was a very long time ago that I gave to it, but I don't remember how much it was. I think it was like 30 bucks. But that's amazing. That's a, a lot it's of a stuff. $50 book. Yeah. In and of itself. Yeah. It's a beautiful book. So I'm really looking forward to digging into that and, and reading it. I was, it was very happy the day that it showed up at, at my apartment. Um, Stephanie, how's things by you? They're pretty good. They're pretty gosh darn good. <laughs> Got home from Minnesota last week. Yeah. Minnesota. Mm. <laughs> and uh, just kind of 
decompressing. I got invited to the red carpet premiere of Edge of Tomorrow. Nice. Invite was like so tricky to read though because I was like, Edge of Tomorrow tomorrow or Edge of Tomorrow <laughs> later in the week? Or what day are we talking about? So I had to read the invite like 15 times before I could figure out if I could actually like make it or not. Mm-hmm. So that should be pretty cool. It's actually based on a manga. It is. Yeah. It is. That's Mara. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Mara did a whole thing about the movie or not the movie, the manga on her new column. Yeah. Man- manga Mondays. And um, if they just called it what they originally were going to call it, which is all you need is kill. We, you wouldn't have had this confusion about it, the date to go. Stephanie. Exactly. So I, yeah. I'm pretty excited for that. I'm, I'm pretty excited to also check out the manga. Yeah. Me Mara, too. I actually want to pick yeah. it up now because of Mara's review. Exactly. So I'm excited for the movie. I'm excited for there's there's apparently going to be a special guest, but I know it's not Emily Blunt or Tom Cruise. So <laughs> I don't know. Should we look for you on the news or entertainment tonight or something? Yeah, I'll be like dancing, lunging down the red carpet. <laughs> yeah, huh. Huh. I'm going to I'm going to just like dress up and show up in a limo and see how nice. many people <laughs> assume I'm someone important. Yeah, just sweep into the room. No one. Yeah. Nah, you'd be surprised. You wear like a name tag that says, my name is Emily Blunt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm undercover. I'm undercover. Um, yeah, the movie looks pretty cool. It's gotten good advanced reviews, too, which I'm happy yeah. about. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and I mean, in the fact that Warner invited me after I wrote a pretty nasty thing about <laughs> It's true. The somebody. last time you were there, huh? not, last time you got invited to a press screening, not so good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. At the, right it ties in it does it does um, tie in but yeah no i'm pretty stoked i'm pretty stoked yeah that's awesome have awesome you seen stuff. godzilla yet no <gasps> what i know no one like no one will go with me and i Aww. haven't had a chance to go out and try and see it on my own so maybe mm. this week that's a shame i know it's I'm like really the perfect sad. movie for you I know my friend was like starting to text me and tell me things about it and i was like no 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 like, if you say anything, I'll like backhand you through this text. <laughs> yeah. How are you feeling, so, Bob? Um. Okay. Back in the land of living with us. <laughs> uh, halfway. 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 Still under the weather. <laughs> well, we missed you. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I missed being there, here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> see how confused I am still. <laughs> Did you do anything this week other than uh, see X Men, which we'll talk about later? Uh, went to the doctor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> went to the drugstore, laid in bed, tried not to pass out. Mm. But f- fun thing with X-Men, uh, I mentioned this just before, I've now seen two consecutive movies with Peter and Kathleen David. That's awesome. Uh, that's really cool. <laughs> sitting in the row in front of me, as <laughs> laughing hysterically at X-Men Easter eggs. Oh, yeah? By happenstance or planned? Complete an utter happenstance. They like the Stony Brook Theater early. He likes 2D, not 3D. Mm. So it just so happens, first show in the morning is a cheapy 650 matinee. Oh, yeah. Stony Brook one? Awesome. Yeah. It's a good one. You, see, you bang that out in the morning, you have a, your whole day ahead of you. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. Six dollars. Yeah, like 1.30. Yeah. yeah. There's been many a, a, like a three movie day is done by me, starting with one of those early yeah. ones. Because I'm done. It's like 3 o'clock. I'm like, okay, let's go. Yeah. Plenty <laughs> of time. Start my day. Um, yeah. Was, was Peter yelling out obscenities during the movie? No. No? <laughs> no, no, no. No, just laughing a lot. And it, when it's funny, it was a regular crowd. Mm-hmm. So there was one person directly in front of me who, when Kathleen would laugh, he would sort of turn his head like, what are they laughing at? It's like, that's funny. 
<laughs> so that name on the mailbox means something. That's a good thing there. You know, you should be paying attention. I went out, I went on a Friday night, but I went, by, I went on my own, and I was dreading it because it was like six thirty, so it wasn't like the eight o'clock showing. Yeah, it'd be a zoo, which is the worst. But it was still, it was pretty packed. Um, but it was a really good crowd. They were really into it. They, you know, they weren't. Nobody was talking. Nobody was being obnoxious. It was nice. It was a nice change up yeah. from. When I saw, I don't remember what the movie is. I was, only like it was Spider Man. Was it Spider Man? Yeah, Spider Man almost got into a fight with somebody. Oh, yes. So I, that was that's better. I actually <laughs> love seeing movies when I'm in Minnesota because, like, there's so few people that don't work, you know, nine to five. I feel like, and you know, there's like three people in the theaters for a matinee, and I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. this is the best. There's no humans. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, sprawl a little bit. Put your popcorn on the next seat oh yeah totally although i did want to throw popcorn at one person who was like talking super loudly i'm like really three people here and one of you still has to be an asshat really <laughs> yeah there was uh, one time i went to, i saw doubt that movie with meryl streep oh, yeah. um in the movie theater and it wasn't even a day show it was at night and it was like like a few weeks into its run i said that in quotes because it didn't make very much money but me and my friend went, and there was nobody else in the movie theater. I've done that. And they started the movie anyway. Usually they don't do that. Usually the, sometimes they won't start it if there's not at least like six people or something. They have like a number. But they started it. So it was literally like seeing a movie on your couch, but oh. in a giant theater. It was awesome. We, we were talking. We were <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that can be a great thing. We saw, yeah. actually, this, it's a movie called Zombie Holocaust, which is here was released as Dr. Butcher Medical Deviant from 1980, <laughs> as well as Italian zombie movies. <laughs> And saw it with my friend's sisters. We did all the horror movies then on a Friday night. And it's so awful, though it has some amazing old-fashioned makeup effects, that I called the guy who would eventually on 112 video, my local comic guy, you've got to see this movie. So we went running to one of the major theaters right here on a Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. We're the only three people. And we're looking oh, around and went, they're not going to show this. They're just going to kick us out and mm-hmm. start showing whatever else they wanted to show. So we spread out in the theater a little bit to mm-hmm. make it look like a bigger crowd. <laughs> so like at the baseball game, go sit over there. Make it look like there are more people here. And then we were making up lyrics to the theme music and <laughs> running around throwing stuff and just like, yeah, it's like being in your basement. Yeah, it was awesome. That was an awesome experience. And not, not, not such a happy, fun time movie, but... <laughs> yeah, it needed zombies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What, that's what Doubt needed. Yeah. Zombies. <laughs> um. <laughs> Everything's better with zombies. <laughs> All right, guys. So we have a we have a big, big show. We obviously have a big movie review to get to and an interview to get to. So we're going to very much truncate our books of the week this week. Mainly just do lightning round kind of stuff with, I'm sure, a few uh, uh, rebuttals here and there from people because I know some people had some overlap with books. because ah. Bob, I know you had a book. You and Steve had the same book that you want to talk about. So well, I put I put it off. And I know, but I'm sure you'll want, I'm sure you'll want to comment on it though Absolutely. after Steve talks about it. Uh, so. Hey, Bobby. Yeah. You want some uh, Daredevil, some confirmed Daredevil casting news that just happened two minutes ago? Yeah, absolutely. Charlie Cox cast as Daredevil in the new Netflix series. Charlie Cox. He's from Stardust. There you go. Oh yes, yes, yes. He's the he's the main guy, right? Yep. Oh, awesome. He's a good actor. He I plays mean, uh, Tristan yeah. in Stardust. Okay, yes, he does. Oh, there we go. So there yeah. you go. Charlie oh, Cox. I, I wouldn't have picked that, but I like that movie. <laughs> he's apparently also in Boardwalk Empire. Oh yes, he's in that too. Ooh. Yeah. So That's all right, cool. Yeah. Yep, so totally um, confirmed. Cool. Yeah, I just saw it. It's on it's on variety, so it is it is definitely confirmed. Well I'm, my word's not good enough, man. <laughs> well no no, but I'm saying most other like websites aren't. No, I don't no, really, no, trust yeah, me. Yeah. I tweeted I tweeted out some shit before that did not look <laughs> out, so <laughs> um and just so you guys know, obviously there is a, a, a huge news that broke and I, yeah, huge news that broke and things that happened over the past week and 
you know, we, we definitely, there are things that we normally would talk about, but <laughs> they're all very negative things. And uh, some of them have been talked to death. Some of them, we don't know exact things going on yet. So if we have time, if we're not running really long at the end of the show, we'll, we'll probably get to them. But my kind of edict for the show this week was let's talk about all the positive stuff first, and then we'll get to the negative mm. BS later. But just so we will know, we, we are aware that Edgar Wright is no longer directing Ant-Man, Aww. that Drew Goddard is no longer running Daredevil, and we know the things that David Goyer said, obviously. <laughs> um, Stephanie wrote up a very impassioned letter on the website, if you guys want to check that out. Huzzah. You. Yeah, basically. Um, so again, we'll get that stuff at the end if we, ha- if we have the time, but I, I didn't want to shortchange the good stuff, the books we've been reading, the interview, or a review of, of X-Men uh, for those stories. So... Without further ado, let's do a little uh, let's do a little lightning round here. Um, I'm going to start with Bob. Bob, are you ready? Sure. Lightning sure. round, go. Okay. First, it's X Factor number eight, which I'm so glad that I stuck with because initially I, I miss Layla and Monet and Mandrox and whatever, but this is rounded into a very nice Peter David book, and Polaris is just incredible doing Magneto <laughs> things with guns and police and. You've got robot love going on, so you can't beat that at all. Then there's Captain Marvel, which we haven't gotten a chance to talk about for various reasons. True. But issues two and three are spectacular. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, David Lopez's art is really, for those people who didn't like Felipe Andre, it's old-fashioned superhero art. Her new mission as a diplomat doesn't start well here, but really gets to a nice place. And though I miss her old Earth family, we'll see them eventually. And this, she's building a nice new one mm-hmm. here. There is Bandit number seven. Hmm. Which just came out, which opens with her being very angry because, you know, Il Tradice, the strangler, has been chasing her urchins around. And so she ends up coming to America, sort of. And I won't say anything <laughs> more than that because that's, that's over there on Monkey Brain or on Comixology. Yes, it is. Rocket Girl number five, which is the end of the first arc and is the usual just incredible stuff. And just a lovely finish to this as we sort of get to the new status quo, but maybe not. And we see what... De Young has to sacrifice to do what she did here, and I love what this book has done. Mm. Just sensational. We all, I think, are fans. And then there's Lumberjanes, number two, where the girls in Roanoke Cabin go whitewater rafting for their naval gauging badge, whatever mm-hmm. that is. I, who knows? <laughs> Three-eyed river monsters, and, and this great quote from Little Mal, uh, well, actually, Jen, the uh, cabin director, what did we learn today? That our worst nightmares are true? <laughs> you know, giant sea monsters and underground crypts and monsters. This is just an amazing book. And thank you, Stephanie, for pushing me toward getting this. I just love Lumberjanes. That's it. Bob, you still have a minute left. I'm just quick. Well, I had one of the book, but Steve's doing it. <laughs> well, um, you, if you want to expand on any of your books. No, I'm good. Oh, Bob, you're just, you're, you kicked ass on that one. <laughs> Bob did it in two minutes. Bob, Jeez. I picked up. Well, I'll I'll take a quick second of Bob's okay. time. Yeah. Rocket Girl. I got to talk to Amy Reader at SpringCon, and oh, oh great. that sketchbook. She has a little sketchbook of all of her Rocket Girl like art. Mm-hmm. So cool. I tried to call you, Bob, but I realized she's in Long Island. I was gonna pick up this, all the swag for you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Really? I would have. I'd have gotten some swag. I'd have loved that. I know. I was trying to get a T-shirt for you, but you were not picking up the phone. Steve can vouch for me. I, you have I, to leave a message. I know. I did give um, you his number. Yeah. I did. And I did so, tell you that he was working. I know. I called your work number too. Hmm, called you yeah, everywhere. And I tried. Did, no one picked up the store phone. No. On a Saturday you guys or must Sunday. Must have been getting a sandwich. Hmm. 
I, I could have been. I could have been. <laughs> Bad timing. Bad but, timing. Yeah. No, there is a there's a Rocket Girl trade coming or a collection in July. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what is going to be in that? She also was told when we saw her at Escape Pod, she and Brandon, that there'll be expanded stuff and sketches oh, cool. and all the rest. So some of that swag may turn up in Very these cool. nice books, awesome. which I want to I want a book the size of that. Lady Saber. Yeah, I want yeah. want the widescreen edition of Rocket Girl. Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I want to say too, a the Comicsology thing. I I finally opened up Comicsology, and you know it, it doesn't do anything anymore. It's like you have to do all this stuff to, you know, sync your books mm-hmm. to the other app. And so I, I I wanted to do it, and I tried to download the Comicsology app from iTunes. I tried four times, and wow. it, every single time my the, it, my iPad just crashed. It's wow. <laughs> I don't know. It was very weird. It was very, very strange. I, uh, I don't find so that much of a difference with it, to be honest, because I buy everything. Like, I don't use my iTunes credit. I usually use everything directly through the browser. So right. nothing's really changed for me. Yeah, it's been rough, a little rough for me because, like, usually for me, it's just the, the convenience. I do buy everything with my iTunes credit just because I have my credit card linked up to it. So it's sure. very, very easy for me. Um, and it's just, you know, it's like two taps, boom, 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 boom. And I can just go through and buy stuff. Um, I do like, like, I was looking around the store. I do like that, that now you can get collections and there are subscriptions and there are kind of bundles and stuff like that, which they couldn't really do um, with, with the Apple stuff, which, which I like. Uh, but it, it is, it's, a, it's just it's one level more that makes me rethink whether I'm going to spend that money or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's the only problem for me. Um, and I just want to mention about Captain Marvel. I, the David Lopez art is unbelievable. I love it so much. I, it's like the perfect art for me yeah. for the book because it's, it's, it's not quite you know the standard superhero art but it's not as stylistic as the like the Felipe Andre stuff so it's like right in that sweet spot for me where it's still very emotional still um has a, a great style to it tons of humor tons of humor but it, it but it really really works well in those big action scenes too and, and the the kinetic like flight scenes and stuff like that work really really well yeah the battle scene in this one where she has to get her ship back and her flurkin cat yeah her flurkin cat <laughs> um so awesome so that was Bob's uh lightning round Steve, you're up next. Ray, are you ready? Uh yeah. This is this is gonna be tough, but go ahead. All right, and lightning round. All right. So uh, I read Black Canary and Zatanna: Blood Spell, written by Paul Dini and art by Joe Quinones. Uh, the story goes that after a year, Black Canary uh, infiltrated a coven of witches that were actually committing a Vegas heist, and it is now a year later. And uh, upon breaking into this Vegas uh, vault, they all entered into a blood spell or a blood pact with this group of witches. The main witch dies. A year later, she starts to kill off the coven that helped her pull off the heist. And unfortunately, one of those uh, girls was Black Canary undercover trying to, uh, you know, get the leg up on this crime. She finds out that there's a lot of black magic involved, so she calls her friend Zatanna. Uh, together, the two of them aim to defeat Tina, the main witch, uh, before she kills all the members of the coven and Black Canary included. Uh, it is a highly, highly enjoyable read. Uh, Paul Dini obviously knows how to handle these characters and has a lot of fun doing it. It manages to be fun, funny. It comes off as like a feel-good comic at times, even though there are very serious matters going on and everything that is happening is kind of under this tremendous time crunch. Um, just a really, really uh, great read, graphic novel, quick and easy kind of thing that you can pick up from DC. I had a lot of fun with it. thought it was wonderful. 
Uh, and the other book that I wanted to include in my lightning round is a book written by Jillian Tamaki and Mariko Tamaki called This One Summer. Uh, it's about a 15-year-old girl named Rose who goes to vacation with her uh, parents in this place called Owego Beach. And basically, she's got a childhood friend there named Winnie, who growing up, they spent every summer together. And this is a book kind of about coming of age and realizing that you're not a kid anymore and realizing that with everything happening, uh, things are going on with her parents, things are going on with the town and the teenagers around her. Rose comes to find out that she's not the kid that she used to be and that it might be time to grow up. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal art from Mariko Tamaki, uh, blue and white mixture for the arts that just makes you feel like you're there, makes you feel like you're on vacation. Um, I'm making it sound really, really heavy, but essentially it's all about growth and hope. And by the end of the story, you'll feel pretty good about it, but it's amazing to be a fly on the wall in the story and look in on these two girls and watch this rift happen between them and how they both turn out by the end of the book some very very moving stuff and there you go that was my lightning round awesome good one steve 10 yeah. seconds left Ooh. um oh 10 seconds you can also look for a full <laughs> review of this one summer up on the talking comic books website that was posted yesterday all right awesome. and a review of blood spell that i wrote a while back what what time's yeah. up your pitch doesn't count stephanie Shut you got my thing <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just kidding. Get out of here, Bobby. Those Get are jokes. Out. They're good jokes, too. <laughs> jokes and stuff. All yeah, right. <laughs> I really enjoyed the Black Canary Zatanna thing yeah. as well. Big fan. Obviously been waiting for this for a long time. Zatanna is 50 years old this year. Oh, wow. Wow. She, she, holds she looks good pretty, for her age. Looks, she looks pretty good, yeah. yeah. Uh, first appeared in Hawkman number four in search of her mm. father, mm. the Golden Age character Zatara, mm. also mm -hmm. magician. Who didn't wear fishnets, though. No. no um, look good on him. Lots of big uh, guest stars or guest spots from characters throughout the story that make it really funny as well. Well, they go through her whole history, basically. She came in searching for her dad and appeared in Hawkman, Adam, Green Lantern, Detective, uh, did a, an elongated man backstory, and then eventually a Justice League issue. They found her dad in some other dimension, and they saved him and all that kind of jazz. Mm-hmm. So that they went through on her Justice League period, too, where she's been in there twice, yeah. at least. So just a great little book. I love the DVD extras, too. You know, script pages and yeah, yeah. sort of... Totally. Can I borrow that from you, Bob? Sure, absolutely. I thought, cool. I thought the funnest part of the book, though, for me, wasn't even like the story or anything else that happened. It was the relationship with yep. Dinah mm -hmm. and Zatanna. Like, the their banter. <laughs> yeah, the banter and everything between them, where, like, you know... I won't spoil like the context for this, but uh, Zatanna's trying to make uh, Dinah put on a costume, and she's yeah. just like, "I'm not gonna wear that." And like, there's just like this subsequent like joking about her <laughs> boobs and all this stuff. But like, it's not, it's it's not like Catwoman or something where it's like sexy. No. It's just like two women. Two it, women. It felt yep. like a conversation that I would have with my friends if somebody was like, "You need to wear that," and I'm like, "Nope." Like it, it felt so fun and so real, and it, it just like you you kind of felt like what Steve said a fly on the wall, and you were watching like just you know a scene between two friends take place. It felt so you know just real and like fun. Mm, it was super charming. super funny, really good. Awesome, awesome. I'm excited to read it. Definitely. Definitely. And Joe Canardis doesn't do nearly enough interiors and getting mm -hmm. a chance to really have some funny. He's so expressive with yeah. the face, facial. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed his book. art on this book as well. 
Awesome. Awesome stuff. That sounds great. All that sounds awesome. Um, all right. So, Stephanie. I... Are, you, are you ready? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah? I'm good. You, you I'm, had, good. I'm like, good. I'm good. I'm good. You sound like you had a... You had a, a caveat there before I said that, though. No, I was just going to get started. That's all. Okay. Well, here, well, you have to wait for me to say, lightning sorry, round, go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your, your time has started. Oh, no. What? You're supposed to say go or something. I did say go. Oh, my God. Anyways, so I only read a couple things this week. I'm on a big kick where I'm reading novels. I'm trying to get through all the things I own. So I read this book called The Eyes of the Cat by Mobius and Jodorowsky. So obviously I bought this because cats, which isn't true at all. I actually bought it because... Mobius is incredible. And anyways, this is this has maybe like 50 words total in this book. And the whole draw to it's really the art. And I read it last night before going to bed thinking that this would be a really cool story about, you know, a Mobius story from the perspective of a cat. Turns out it's kind of nightmarish and involves the cat's eyes being plucked out by an eagle. So hello, oh. nightmares. But... <laughs> The, the art is phenomenal, and if anyone knows anything about Mobius, you know that checking out this story will not disappoint, despite the potential to have nightmares. Fair warning, cat's eyes get plucked out. So, really awesome, though. Beautiful work. Really, really interesting story. That's one of the things I read. And the other is Lucha Libre Hellboy, <laughs> which isn't entirely true. This is Hellboy, House of the Living Dead, which is just one of... You know, Mike Mignola's one-off stories. So the stories by Mike Mignola, the art by Richard Corbin. And Ooh. this is a story about Hellboy in Mexico, in which he becomes a Lucha Libre for a bit. And there is an actual photo of him in, like, spandex. It's great. And he wrestles people. And it's great. Um, <laughs> the overall story is kind of... You know, this kind of Frankenstein story that takes place and basically Hellboy has to fight the Frankenstein monster. The sort of Frankenstein monster. The kind of... Okay, anyways, it's really good. I love Hellboy. I'm really absorbed in this world right now and the sort of... The whole Mignola-verse. So I picked this up just for fun after reading Cat's Eyes Being Plucked Out book. And um, <laughs> it made me sleep better because I had the images of Lucha Libre Hellboy. There we go. <laughs> Which is not actually what it's called. Again, it's Hellboy House of the Living Dead. Okay. <laughs> Casa de los... Yeah. You, have, you have 30 seconds, Stephanie. Anything else you want to mention? Oh, no. Oh, no. 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 Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> now, your eyes of the cat, it's Alejandro Jodorowsky, the movie director? Um, let I me see so. here. I think so. I'm going to open up the well, book. I believe that's San who it Santa is. Santa Sangre and Holy Mountain. I could have told you yes, Cat's eyes would have got plucked out. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's exactly yeah. who it is. He's creepy, but he makes... R Santa Sangre is a great, yeah. odd... He oh, did a uh, Dune thing yes. recently yeah. as well. Jodorowsky's yeah. Dune. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know why I thought this would be delightful. Cheery. You just saw Cats and you're like, ooh! <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. I was like... And then, as soon as I saw where it was going, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then I kept reading and turned the page, and it was just like, oh, no. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> but it was really cool Aww. in the end. Awesome. In awesome. a really short kind of way. It took me like two minutes to read. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nice. All right, so here we go. I'm going to do my lightning round. All right, and I will go now lightning round. All right, so really quickly, Uncanny X-Men, it... 
I didn't expect it to be anything, and it was freaking awesome. Just like uh, all new X Men, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Just changing stuff up, ridiculous, ridiculous amounts right now. Big revelations, really, really, really good. Um, but what I really want to spend really most of my time on is talking about Forever Evil uh, number seven because we finally got the ending. It delayed m- many months, and we had Fallout books happening and, and books that were supposed to start afterwards happening. But here we finally get the ending to uh, Jeff Johns and David Finch's uh, long-running event from DC Comics. And there's a full review of it up on TalkingComicBooks.com if you want to read it. But uh, I absolutely I absolutely loved it. Um, the, last, the last issue was mind-blowing in all the re- revelations it had. And this does not have those because all the revelations are out, basically, except for a few. So we're really dealing with Fallout and wrapping the story up. And I, I felt like um, everything is very earned. I felt like David Finch's art, who... I'm not always crazy about it. I don't like the faces sometimes. Some of the guy, like the bigger guys' faces, like the Superman and stuff mm-hmm. like that, just don't like it. It looks very squished. Uh, other times, I think it looks great. Like I think he draws the Flash very well. I think actually he draws Superwoman v- very well uh, as well. Um, but if the action scenes here, the stuff with um, um, l- l- with both versions of Luther and uh, you know uh, Black Adam and-, and Sinestro and all that stuff was just fantastic to look at. But I mean the absolute number one star of this entire thing has been Lex Luthor. Um, you know, I, I know that he's one of the most explored villains in all of the DC universe and he's, they've done him as super bad guy or sort of bad guy, sort of good guy, you know, you know, complicated mm-hmm. here. It's the first time I've read in a long time him done this well and this in depth, this version of Lex Luthor is amazing. Uh, you actually, you don't quite trust him, but you still root for him in it. And, I thought that was great. He, there's moments where he kind of outsmarts Batman. And we had some people on the, I think it was on the forums kind of talking about mm-hmm. that. And I mean, he is the s- smartest man in, uh, yeah. in the planet. So th- if there's anyone who can do it, it would, it would probably be uh, Lex Luthor. But yeah, it was just great. I mean, this is how, uh, other than the delay, and like I said in my review, the delay happened. This is the only time it's going to matter. Because in, 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 in a year when somebody reads this, they're not going to know there is a delay. Aside from the delay, it's the best event I've read since we've we've come back and I've been doing this show. It's kind of the model, and what you know, maybe you don't like the content of it, but the way that it was produced, the way that it didn't really affect too many other books, um, I think is the model for how you do an event, a universe-spanning event. Um, Jeff Johns is just so great at taking these characters that you don't know that well or that have been thrown on the scrap heap and just making them vital and interesting and cool again. The, the least interesting people in this book, it, it's probably Batman. You know, it's, it's Batman's wow. fine, but it, 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 the way he does Lex Luthor, the way he does the crime syndicate, the way he deals with Catwoman even in this book, is so interesting. Um, really, really loved it. He, really great ending to this event. And no spoilers. No, no spoilers in that review. No, no, I don't want to give any spoilers away. It just came out. People have been waiting for it. Steve, did you get a chance to read it? I did. I want to hear your thoughts. I thought it was wonderful. Mm. Thought it was wonderful. Um, I honestly, I you took the words right out of my mouth. I agree with everything you said. Um, I really, really enjoyed. I have not been um, fortunate enough to have read too much Lex Luthor. I've read like some choice stories with him in it, but never anything like this, mm-hmm. where you really got to see, like you said, his intelligence shine. Um, and just throughout the whole thing, I mean. The delay, I, I bitched and moaned about it because I was being impatient because I was really enjoying the book and just wanted the end. Uh, now that we have it, reading it, I actually read it over again and read the whole thing together. And it just, the structure of it, the flow of it, the intensity of it, 
um, the places that it goes, the characters that get linked to other syndicate characters. Some of them I was even surprised by. Um, I got a little choked up in issue number seven with some stuff uh, in regard to Luther's relationship with Bizarro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really great moment. That was yeah, a fantastic like, moment. Yeah, really, really great moment. And I was not expecting it. Was not expecting yeah. it at all. Wasn't expecting to feel that way uh, towards that character and towards that situation at all. So I really appreciated that it, it caught me off guard. Mm-hmm. And um, I like the I, I like where it ended with the idea that uh, moving forward in Justice League and so on that perhaps. Um, people that were not necessarily on the side of good might have changed uh, yeah. the, the role reversals, if you will. Um, and not just on one or two characters, but even like some of the the lesser known characters have kind of gone back to their lives, uh, but have gone back with a piece of what it's like to lose everything. And perhaps people that killing was a part of their repertoire. It no longer is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a that's a tremendous shift uh, character wise that could only have been done with an event like this. And I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a couple of things I mentioned the way that Atomica gets defeated. Yes, is <laughs> it's amazing. And the Justice League number 30, which came out in tandem, obviously, they've been waiting to put it out, um, which features like Luther and Captain Cold kind of the fallout of kind of becoming heroes in their own right is really, 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 really cool. And the, the last page of Justice League number 30 is is pretty crazy. So it was great. It was it was a great event. It, it, brought, it elevated both the Justice League books way above where they were before. And the end of Justice League of America also now, if this had come out earlier, now you understand what's leading into United. It makes a lot more sense now if it, the books had come out in order. Um, it would have been good. But yeah, great ending for every evil. Awesome, awesome stuff. What do you think it's going to do in forming the books moving forward, line-wise? I think the Justice League is very is very affected by it, because I think you're definitely going to see Lex Luthor as a member of the Justice League, which is totally, yeah, obviously, crazy. paradigm yeah. shifting, uh, which is very cool. And probably Captain Cold as well, which is pretty cool. Um, that those are the main. That's the main book that's going to really be affected. I mean, obviously, we have Grayson, which is now... We now now this book is out. It, it's less of a <laughs> less of a spoiler and less of a, a big deal. Um, I, the ending of, of Forever Evil actually gets me interested in what Grayson is going to be. The reasoning behind it mm. and that stuff is very very cool. I mean, once for the current Batman books, like the Batman books they place in current day, not obviously Scott Snyder's doing Zero Year still, and it's set in the past. It's definitely going to affect his world as well because there's a big thing that happens in his universe um, going forward. And I mean. I hope this leads to us seeing you know a Shazam book uh, because he's forefront here as, as well as Black Adam is. So I think those are characters that deserve their own their own shake. Um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, what I like about it, though is that it changes things, but it changes things in a controlled space. So it's not just rippling out into every single book, and we're not fifteen thousand tie-ins. It's mm. all very controlled, which I, I really liked quite a bit. Um, yeah, so that's Forever Evil uh, number seven uh, of seven. It's it's finally over. Um, so that's gonna do it for our books of the week. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to come right back uh, with an interview with Anthony Johnson, writer of Umbral and Fuse.
All right, we are back. And we have a very special guest joining us. We are joined by Umbral creator, Anthony Johnston. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks. Good to be here. <laughs> um, Bobby, unfortunately, had to uh, save his fiance from some car troubles, so he is oh. not here, but nor is Bob, actually. But I am joined by Steve. Ta-da! Uh, Steve's here as well. All um, the way from Canada. We. We're both in Canada, though. We are both in Canada. <laughs> um, anyways, though, this isn't about Steve in Canada. This is about no. Anthony. So um, we'll get started by simply asking you, how did you get started in comics? Did you read them growing up? And what got you into writing them? I did read them growing up. One of my earliest memories uh, is being about four years old, sitting on my father's lap as he read a copy of The Beano, a children's anthology british anthology to me um i mean obviously i was too young to actually read them but i remember him reading it to me and sort of you know looking at the pictures and yeah i kind of been more than four years old at that point so comics has always been there you know uh, as soon as i was able to actually read i was reading comics and i continued reading comics as i was growing up pretty much my whole life you know there was there used to be a plethora of uh english comics around the england had a the fantastic comics industry, uh, or the UK, I should say, because actually many of them were produced in Scotland. Um, and unfortunately, that's, you know, that's no longer the case. But when I was growing up, there were dozens of comics, uh, homegrown comics to choose from. So, yeah, they've always been a part of my life. And I think I, I don't even recall, it was so long ago, uh, exactly when I decided I wanted to make comics. But I know that it was very, very early on, as soon as I decided that I wanted to tell stories in some fashion. It was because I w I'd been reading them for so long already, it felt natural to me that I would do so in comics. Um, and so I just kind of, you know, kept kept on that path, as it were, in comics. I mean, I've written many other things now, but comics has always been my first love, and I'm sure it will remain so. All right. So uh, you're ver the first volume of umbral comes out tomorrow or today i guess for people who are listening to this time travel um <laughs> so for our listeners who haven't heard of it yet what is umbral all about umbral is the story of rascal a young thief in the fantasy world of strackhelm where uh, an eclipse is about to take place and this is a big deal and rascal being a young thief has a plan she is going to use the eclipse is a distraction while everybody else is busy looking at the eclipse she's going to steal into or sneak into the royal palace and steal a priceless gem called the oculus while no, nobody's looking with the help of the uh, young prince who's a bit mischievous himself unfortunately she gets rather more than she bargained for and while she's there she witnesses the horrific and brutal slaughter of the king and queen uh, by these terrible nightmare shadow creatures called the umbral and barely escapes with her life and it seems that Rascal has stumbled upon an invasion by the Umbral, who have learned to be able to take human form. Everybody thought they were just a myth, but it turns out that they're very real, they're here, very dangerous, and now Rascal is possibly the only person who actually realises that they are invading, and it's up to her somehow to try and save the kingdom. Um, it's very good too, by the way. I think all of us had a chance to read a copy of it, and it's... A great story. Uh, Steve, you Thank had a question you. about uh, the world building. 
I do have a question about the world building. Um, so I read through the, the trade this afternoon, uh, rather enjoyed it, and I have a question. So the world that you've created in Umbral is huge. There's even a world map uh, with like established tab uh, territories and everything at the start of issue one. Uh, when did the process in creating this world begin, and how did you need to approach the story differently from other things that you've worked on in the past? Well, the the genesis for Umbral came about around the start of 2012 when I decided that I would like to create something new again with Chris Mitten, with whom I created Wasteland, uh, the post-apocalyptic series I do at Oni Press. And luckily, the feeling was mutual, and so we talked about what we were going to do. Chris and I are both big fans of dark fantasy. We have a shared love, uh, especially of a, a Jim Henson film called The Dark Crystal. Yeah! Yeah, and uh, we've we've bonded over that in the past. And, I mean, we talked about a number of things, but we decided, you know, we were also trying to make sure it was something that Chris would enjoy drawing for potentially a, a long period of time. So we eventually decided on dark fantasy. We thought this is a genre that we can do justice. Uh, and so it was at that stage that then the world building began. Then I had to start kicking around ideas for an actual story rather than just a genre. Uh, and the world of Umbral and the kingdom of Fendin and you know the city of Strackelm all started to come together. Yeah. How how was it different to other projects? Um, the thing is, most of my creator-owned projects have this sort of world building in them. Uh, Wasteland is you know a huge exercise in world building because it's a, a world a hundred years after the end of the world, as it were. Uh, even the Fuse, the other series I'm doing at Image, the Sci-Fi Cop series, there's still a lot of world building going on because it is speculative fiction. So, mm -hmm. and I do a lot of this work in video games as well. So I'm quite used to doing this sort of thing. Um, it's not really that different in that respect to many of my previous projects. Is there anything that that directly has influenced the way that you plan it and lay it out? Like, have you read other? fantasy writers and stuff like that that have kind of showed you uh, as you were growing up how to plot that type of thing? Not not explicitly sort of how-tos from other fantasy writers, but I do read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very familiar with, you know, sort of the concept of created worlds. I grew up playing role-playing games as well. Oh. Uh, I spent years and years, you know, playing uh, D&D and Merp and TMNT and, you know, nice. hundreds of systems, yeah. Uh, so obviously that's a part of it as well. I, through that, I kind of got an apprenticeship, if you like, in world building and creating scenarios, yeah. worlds, for my players to have adventures in. So I kind of feel like I've been doing world building for most of my life, long before I actually started, you know, writing fiction. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, it has a little bit of a. Uh, when I was reading it, I, I was like, kind of hearkening back to Terry Pratchett and uh, a couple of other uh, authors that I've read in the past. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so, Umbral is a creator-owned book with Image. It's published through Image. And is there any desire for you to put work out through big companies and properties like Marvel and DC? Or are you just happy doing your own stories? I mean, you've done this and Fuse with Image and Wasteland with Oni, correct? Yes. So, it, uh, yeah, do you want to branch out from there or just keep on doing what your own stuff? Well, I'm actually kind of branching in, as it were. Um, I, I started out doing creator-owned books uh, many years ago, uh, doing lots of original graphic novels for Oni, actually. 
um, and a few books for Avatar. And I actually did a couple of years stint at Marvel. I co-wrote Daredevil during the Shadowland saga with Andy Diggle, and I did the Daredevil season one graphic novel. I did a Shadowland spin-off. I did a, a Shang-Chi miniseries during Spider Island, uh, and a few other things here and there. Uh, and and I kind of got out of that. So I'm actually, if anything, branching back in. Uh, you know, I, I've done a bit of time in the the superhero trenches, as it were, and it was fun. Um, but the sort of stories that I really enjoy telling in those universes, unfortunately, not a lot of people are interested in reading because I really like doing the the down at heel street level characters like Shang Chi and you know uh, Power Man and uh, well and Daredevil and stuff like that on a really kind of gritty level. Uh, and that sort of thing has fallen out of favour a little uh, in recent years. So because I do the video game writing on the side as well, um, you know, something had to give. And I really wanted to do more creator-owned stuff. At that point, Wasteland was really the only creator-owned book I was doing. So I decided to, you know, get out of the superhero uh, market and you know, focus on creating new stuff instead, which is why I'm now doing these books with Image. Very nice. And Image is obviously, you know, a wildly successful company. So I mean, I feel like that's a good place to have your work out there right now, especially. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> can you take us through a little bit of your writing process? Do you work from home? What do you do to motivate yourself on a daily basis to, you know, keep putting your work out there? Uh, having a mortgage to pay is a great motivator. Uh, <laughs> no, I, yes, I, I do work from home. Um, I live in the countryside in Northwest England. Uh, I look out my window and see, well, nothing at the moment cause it's just gone midnight, but normally I look out my window and see uh, a lovely green moor across the way. I have two lovely dogs. I live here with my fiance. Uh, and I just sort of lock myself in my study all day long. Uh, and sit in a chair and write i've i've never found motivation to be a great problem to be honest um organizing mm -hmm. my time and my work is more of an issue for me normally because i'm working on multiple projects at once all the time and so i have to organize how i split my time between them um yeah i i approach i mean right you know what i do is is art uh, no question, but at the same time, it is also craft and it is also a job. It's how I earn my living. So you you don't do it for very long if you don't have an attitude of, you know, sit in the chair and write, um, whether or not you feel inspired. So, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I don't really have too much of a problem with that. With regards to my actual sort of, you know, the nuts and bolts of my process, um, anybody... I won't go into it here because it would take <laughs> far too long. But anybody interested in that should go and have a look at my website, which is anthonyjohnston.com, uh, where I have a whole section of articles about my process and, you know, sort of how I use various bits of software and how I go from turning rough notes into an actual finished script and all that sort of thing for writers. There's a whole host of resources there for people. That's really cool. I mean, I don't think – I think a lot of people use their websites as – a blog and places where they can find appearances and stuff, but that's a really neat way to, you know, communicate with your fans and uh, aspiring writers and creators. 
Well, I, I do that as well. I mean, yeah, my work journal is there, a catalogue of all my work is there. But yeah, when I was starting out, there weren't a lot of resources online, especially for comic writers specifically. You know, there have always been books on screenwriting and how to write novels in 39 easy steps and all that sort of thing. But there still isn't really an awful lot out there for comic writers, um, certainly less than for those other media. And when I started out, there was even less and certainly less online. So, yeah, I just, you know, I kind of feel it's a bit like it's a bit of um, paying it forward and just helping out the next generation. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, you had another question for Anthony. I do. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that uh, you and Christopher Mitten have worked together uh, before. How did you guys meet? We were uh, put together, as it were, by Oni Press for uh, a Queen and Country miniseries. Um, I oh, to, yes. Yeah, yes. Queen and Country Declassified miniseries, volume three, I believe it was. Nice. Which was the one about Nicky Paul set in Northern Ireland. Yep. during the days of the uh, when he was in the SAS. Uh, and Greg Rucker asked me to write that miniseries rather than doing it himself, partly mm -hmm. because some of my family are Irish, so I have a bit of knowledge of, of that area. Um, and I honestly don't remember if uh, Chris was suggested as an artist or if he was one of a bunch of artists we were looking at and I picked him. I genuinely don't remember which it was, but that was the first thing we did together. And we just kind of clicked. There's very cool. It's really it's really hard to describe. Uh, really hard to sort of pinpoint. But basically, we just kind of realised over the course of doing that miniseries that we shared a lot of opinions about comics, about how they should be made, about what a comic should be, um, about the visual language and storytelling. That we had fairly similar tastes, uh, and we just kind of got on. Uh, we didn't actually meet in person. Until I, th I'm pretty sure until after we'd started Wasteland, which was the next project that we wow. did together after Queen and Country. Yeah, I think, and again, my memory's fuzzy on this because we started working on that book in 2005, so nearly 10 years ago. But I think we didn't actually meet in person until after we'd already, you know, put the first few issues of Wasteland out. Uh, <laughs> but that's fairly common these, you know, in these days of the interwebs. So. <laughs> I wouldn't take that as, uh, you know, as meaning, I wouldn't read too much meaning into that. Um, right. But yeah, we just got on. As I say, we, we clicked that it's, it's really difficult to put, put any more specific than that. That's really cool. Um, how, did, how did you go about uh, selecting, I guess, the rest of the creative team for Umbral? Was that a, like a process that you had to go through yourself or did Image kind of put that together? Oh, no, we put that together. Uh, Chris and I, you know, have both been around long enough now that we know enough people um, oh. to sort of to do that, that kind of thing together. Uh, Thomas, our letterer, was uh, Chris's suggestion because Chris had worked with him previously on uh, either a book or a short story. I'm not sure which. Um, and they just worked really well together. Thomas's style fits Chris's art to the point that it almost looks, and again, this is a bit of a nebulous concept, but it looks almost like how you'd imagine Chris's lettering would look if he did it himself, even though he doesn't. <laughs> um, and so he was just kind of perfect for the project. Uh, John Rauch, Rock, I'm never entirely sure how to pronounce his last name. Um, we, it's okay, we get last names wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah, I apologize, John, I'm sorry. Um, 
came to us. Well, no, we went to John. Uh, we liked his work. Chris and I both liked his work, and uh, we knew him through you know sort of mutual contacts. And so we approached him and asked him to come on board the book. Uh, he could only do a couple of issues, but he gave us a, a lovely, wonderful color palette, very unique. And then after he departed, we went to Jordan, who was suggested by Thomas, the letterer, who had worked with him before. So it really, uh, you know, uh, a lot of this process comes about because you've worked with somebody before and you think, oh, that worked well, you know, let's go and work with them again. Uh, and so, but now we have a, a good stable team in place and, you know, we all make each other look good. I think we're a pretty good team and we're a well-oiled machine by now that's really cool um i have a follow-up to that actually when how did like creating the specific look of armbrol come about did you have anything in particular in mind when you were writing it or was this something that you and chris put together uh as a team uh it was a bit of back and forth um because chris and i you know sort of share a wavelength as it were um, a lot of the days <laughs> you look at some people and this isn't I, I don't mean anything by this but you look at some people and you know when they're creating a book like this and you'll see the artist goes through 20, 30, 40 different designs before they hit on something that everybody agrees is right um, mm. and uh, and that's wonderful because then you can publish lovely thick books of uh, you know design books and stuff uh, to tie into the comic we can't do that because we have a grand total of two pages of oh, wow. design work that Chris did for Rascal and Delone and basically got them right first time. He just did them and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much what I had in mind. <laughs> <That's cool>. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is great, but yeah, it, it does make back matter problematic. Um, the <laughs> only thing that we really went back and forth a long time about was the design of the Umbral themselves, mm -hmm. which is kind of ironic because the whole reason the book the whole inspiration for the book was actually a sketch that Chris did oh, a long time ago now, a sort of daily warm-up sketch that he posted to Instagram of a sort of shadow creature with claws and, you know, beady, shining eyes. And I had that in mind when I was coming up with Umbral. Um, and yet, when we then got to, okay, well... You know, that was just a sketch. Now let's actually design these characters that we're going to see throughout this whole book. Uh, then we actually did go back and forth a lot on some specifics, like the shape of the Umbral's eyes and their teeth and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, but the, the ironically, the human characters, we just, yeah, almost no design work involved whatsoever. I came up with a few ideas. Chris went like this, and I went, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. What's it like, again, keeping on the subject of uh, Christopher and Umbral, but uh, what's what's it like working with Christopher on Umbral versus working with Justin Greenwood on Fuse? Are there any differences in how you lay out the scripts for each of them? No. Um, that's partly because I first worked with both of them on Wasteland. Oh, uh, right, right. And so, I mean, Chris and I co-created Wasteland together, Uh but Wasteland was a, a book that I'd had in mind for many years. Uh, and so, I mean, I've, I've often said that Wasteland was Chris drawing mostly what I asked him, you know, what I wanted to see. Whereas Umbral is me writing what Chris wants to draw. 
so there's a difference there. But in terms of the scripting, no, I don't. Uh, both of them, I don't know whether I've been extraordinarily lucky or whether there's some kind of Stockholm syndrome <laughs> because they both worked on my Wasteland scripts together. But I find that I don't need to. I, I write in the same fashion for, for both of them. Uh, and yet, obviously, the results, as you see, are wildly different um, because of the, the different styles of the art artists. Um, oh, I just completely lost my train of thought there for a second. Um <laughs> Oh my goodness! It was totally something that you just said, and it slipped right out of my mind. Um, okay, sorry. talking about the differences in styles of script. Yeah, or... um, you said that you were writing Umbral like how you want, or how CRISPR wanted to draw. Or oh yes, yes, yes. Was that something that was in mind when you were creating this world? Like you, did you ever have that discussion with him where you asked, "All right, I want to work with you again. What do I need to write? What kind of things do you want to draw for us to like?" keep working together almost exactly that yes uh, right. <laughs> it, it, it was it wasn't so much for us to keep working together as more a kind of you know this book could potentially run for a long time so let's make sure it's something that you want to do um the irony is that chris is so laid back that when i said to him what do you want to draw he just said oh, anything really as long as it's a good story <laughs> i you know I, I don't mind i just want to work with you again I'm like, okay well that's you know that's what i said about you that's not fair um <laughs> so but i i know just because i know chris and because i see his sketches and you know i've worked with him now for many years i know that this is the sort of stuff that he likes to draw so it's not a case of me asking him what do you want to draw? And he says, oh, big monsters. It's more that I, I just know that I'm writing the kind of things that he relishes drawing. And I think that shows through in the work. Mm -hmm. I mean, Chris did stellar work on Wasteland and continues to now that he's come back for the final story arc. But uh, I don't think anybody, you know, certainly not even me, could look at the two books and not see that Umbral is clearly, he's having a lot more fun. <laughs> I think that's part of the charm of creator and stuff. I mean, people can love doing Batman, Daredevil, all those other things, but I think your love for the work really shows through in creator-owned things, in being able to draw what you want and being able to write what you want. And yeah. Umbral is definitely one such book where you can kind of see the passion showing through the pages. Well, I hope so. I certainly hope so. I mean, that, that's always been the case with me. Um, I'm uh, Warren Ellis. Uh, has said this many times i've known warren for some time now um and he and i are in complete agreement on this because we both grew up reading british comics and the thing about british comics is that stories turned over all the time there were always anthologies they weren't single title comics and stories turned over in those anthologies constantly so when we were growing up and reading you know being raised on comics the idea was that if you wanted to work in comics you created something new you were always coming up with new stories. You made something that was yours. You didn't get into comics so that you could write Judge Dredd mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, Rogue Trooper or Strontium Dog or whatever in 2000 AD. You came up with something new. That was what comic writers did. So that attitude has always been there in my work uh, and, you know, sort of it still is there now. I, I always... I've never made any secret of this. I much, much more enjoy creating my own stories and working on those creator-owned stories 
than doing the work for hire stuff. The work for hire stuff's fun. I have no objection to it. Um, it's you know it's fun, and I always try to do a good job if I'm hired to do it. But I make no secret of you know I much prefer creating my own stories, and I do have more fun doing them. Mm-hmm. There's not the continuity to worry about, and lots of you know backstory to go through. And oh, I don't know. You haven't seen my notes for Umbral. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, those are still your notes, at least. <laughs> That's They're, true. That's they, true. They, they came from your brain at some point in time. So I'm... That's, <laughs> some and, inebriated point, yeah. <laughs> and Warren Ellis actually has a, a image book coming out today as well. So people can look Trees. out for that. Yes, yeah. indeed. So uh, looking which, forward to that. It looks pretty awesome, yeah. Um, but... Going back to your work a bit, who was one of your favorite characters that you've written in anything and not just necessarily Umbral? Um, well, I'm fond of all of my creator-owned characters uh, because they, you know, they're, they're all kind of little pieces of yourself. They're all little, you know, skewed reflections uh, of yourself in some way. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm actually really proud of Clem Ristovich, the lead character in The Fuse, because she's kind of one of a kind. And I mean that in a market sense, you know, in the sense of the American comics market. Uh, There really aren't many old, cantankerous uh, female detectives who aren't physically attractive knocking around. And I'm uh, quite proud of the fact that we've managed to launch a book with a lead character with that criteria, who is in no way a sort of, you know, an object of lust or anything like that. She's not a yummy mummy. She is an old, wrinkly, cantankerous, uh, bad-tempered, foul-mouthed woman who is angry at the world and everyone in it, and uh, indeed everyone orbiting it as well. Uh, Steve, did you have another question as well? I do, actually. Um, Okay, so you've mentioned a few times that you're also, do you write, you work within the video game industry, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, What have you done for video games and what projects have you worked on? Uh, I wrote the original Dead Space game uh, and the original Titan Comics with Ben Templesmith. I I wrote a bunch of Dead Space games, actually. I also did the Dead well, Space Well, thank you Wii for game. that uh, right off the uh, bat, because I loved those uh, games. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, I did the, the Dead Space Wii rail, uh, rail shooter, Dead Space Extraction. I also yeah, did yeah, yeah. the uh, Xbox arcade puzzle game, Dead Space Ignition. I did oh, the Dead Space yeah. m- mobile game. Um... I think that's it for Dead Space <laughs> games. But I also did, yeah, the comics and a couple of graphic novels. Uh, and then more recently, I wrote Zombie You uh, a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, the Wii U launch title. Uh, I wrote uh, Binary Domain for Sega Tokyo, which is sort of a bit of a cult classic squad-based sci-fi shooter. Yeah. Uh, I've just done some work on Shadow of Mordor, the new Lord of the Rings game that's coming out this year. Uh-huh. Uh, and I also wrote, uh, and I'm not sure how many people would have played these, but there's a, a series of drag racing games on the iPhone and iPad called CSR Racing and CSR Classics, and I wrote those as well. Wow, okay, I had no idea that you were responsible for all those. Those, those are some pretty awesome titles in that list. <laughs> oh, uh, you. so, you're very welcome. What is the difference between, like, how do you go from gaming mode and writing video games into comic mode? Is there... Like, do you have to mentally 
reorient yourself to, to do each each task or is it similar? You have to reorient yourself a little. They are actually more similar than you might think. Uh, and I actually, I just could, I was just at the Dublin Writers Festival where I gave a short talk about writing for games and that's one of the things I covered. And that in turn was a condensed version of a longer talk I gave at GDC, the Game Developers Conference, in mm -hmm. 2010 in Austin, uh, where I talked about the similarities and differences of writing for comics and games and how comics and games are actually quite similar in many respects, especially in structure. Um, again, if, uh, if anybody wants to see that, there is actually video available of that, and it's free to watch, unlike many of the GDC videos. It was, uh, went down very well, and they decided to make it one of the freely available videos for that year. So again, if you go to my website, you'll find a link to that uh, video if you want to see me ramble on about writing for games. Um, but you do have to reorient yourself a little bit. What I try to do is separate my work out by days. So if I'm if I you know if I'm doing some work on comics today, then I will try to make sure that I'm only doing work on comics. And if tomorrow I'm scheduled to do some work on games, then I will try to make sure that I only do work on games tomorrow. I find that having that break of you know sort of stopping work having dinner you know watching some tv whatever going to sleep getting up the next day that's enough of a break for me to then kind of shift gears okay. and move from one to the other just so long as you delegate out the time that you can you can dedicate specific days to it you can pretty much wake up or rest up and then and go into gear exactly exactly i mean you don't always have that luxury but i i try to build that sort of time into my schedule yeah cool very cool uh, Steph, do I have time for one more question? Yeah, of course. Sure. Sweet. Uh, okay, so when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that you had been reading comics pretty much your whole life. Um, who did you read growing up that you really enjoyed, and uh, what are you reading now uh, in regard to comics? Well, uh, I grew up during what many people now refer to as the golden age of 2000 AD, uh, and I, I actually don't know credits were not a thing in many British comics for many years. So I actually don't know who wrote some of the non-2000 AD stories that I used to enjoy as a child. But uh, in 2000 AD, certainly Alan Moore was in his, you know, uh, in his pomp in 2000 AD when I was it's growing up. So th things like Halo Jones and DR and Quinch um, and classics that he was, you know, that he wrote and obviously before he then moved on to America. But also uh, writers like Jerry Findlay Day, who wrote a lot of Rogue Trooper. Um, and uh, Neil Gaiman actually wrote some short stories for 2000 AD, which I very much enjoyed. Um, so <laughs> not, not hugely different to, uh, to the people I enjoy as an adult. Strange, that. Uh, there was one British writer called John Smith, who, uh, and that really is his name, who <laughs> went... To, he did a couple of series for Vertigo in the early days, but he was just a bit too weird, even for Vertigo. <laughs> He's a very, very strange psychedelic writer, but I really liked his work. He still writes for 2008, I believe. Yes. Uh, and then now, uh, the, I mean, these days, my favorite writers are kind of you know, slightly, there's the predictable classics. You know, I love Garth, Grant, Warren Ellis. 
Uh, Greg Rucker is a great friend, and I, I love his work. Um, who else? Uh, Ed Brubaker. Uh, I love Ed. Um, and yeah, you know, just sort of the regular people that you'd expect. But of the more modern crowd, I'm also uh, a big fan of Kieran Gillen, who ah, I've, yes. I've had the pleasure of knowing for many years. Um, I, I actually, Kieran often says that it's it's my fault that he is now a comics writer. Uh, not, that, not that I inspired him, but we both used to work for Future Publishing, a magazine publisher here in the UK. And when Kieran decided that he wanted to have a go at writing comics, he sent me his first ever little mini-comic and asked me if I thought it was any good. And it was. It was good. It was, you know, obviously the, somebody's first work, but it was good. Uh, and I told him so. And so he said, right, I'm going to be a comics writer. <laughs> and he, he's told me since that if I'd said, no, this is rubbish, forget it, he would have given up and gone home. So, you know, oh, it's all well, it's a good thing you encouraged him then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love Kieran. Uh, Matt Fraction, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, um, Nick Spencer. Uh, I'm just reeling off, like, you know, Brian Vaughan. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you know, the, the usual sort of people. Ed Brisson is one that not as many people have heard of, perhaps. Um, Ed actually started out as a letterer. Uh, he lettered one of the more recent graphic novels I did for Oni Press. Um, and who knew? He could write as well. And he's a great writer. He writes a book called Sheltered. Yeah, yeah, with Johnny well, Christmas. Uh, oh, that book. That's I right, Johnny book. Christmas at Image. And he's also just launched a new book called The Field. Uh, and Ed is also our letterer on The Fuse. But, you know, that's kind of, he does that in his spare time now. <laughs> yeah. Now he's ma- I've been noticing his name on a, as lettering credits for a few things. I think your book and Rat Queens as well. Yep. But, well, as I say, that's how he, he actually started out as a letterer. Um, but he's, you know, while he was working on the writing and he's now developed into, you know, uh, a very successful writer in his own right. And I foresee great things in his future. So that's a name to, for people to check out if they're not familiar with it. Um, yeah. Sheltered is spectacular. I love that series. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And jo- Johnny Christmas is a great guy as well. And he has the best name. He really does. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think that's as good a place as any to end things off. But before we go, where can people find you online to hear more about what you do and, you know, hear more about your process? And besides Umbral and Fuse, what else can people look forward to from you? Uh, you can find me at anthonyjohnston.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter with at Anthony Johnston. Uh, basically, just just search my name. My name, because of its spelling, I'm able to grab my name as a username on pretty much every social network going. <laughs> so just look for my name, and if you spell it correctly, it's probably me. Uh, but yeah, AnthonyJohnston.com is where everything... I mean, I have a Tumblr and Twitter, yeah, but that's where everything appears first. You know, all news and appearances and announcements and stuff always appear there first. Um, you can also check out theumbral.com for um, information about the trade and links to the free issue one offer that we're currently running. Now that the trade is available for purchase, we have made the first issue of Umbral, the extra long first issue completely free on both comiXology and from the image website so if you go to the umbral.com there are links there to both of those places where you can get the first chapter for free to try out and obviously if you like it we hope that you'll then buy book one um 
What was the second part of the question? <laughs> was there anything else besides Umbral and Fuse oh. coming out from you? Uh, I'm working on a few things. I'm working on a few games uh, and a few more comics, um, which I'm not allowed to talk about, uh-huh. uh, unfortunately. This is my life, unfortunately, yeah. because <laughs> games is you know full of NDAs, so I'm, I'm just not allowed to talk about most of the stuff I'm working on. Um, if people like Umbral, I would encourage them to check out Wasteland, the series that Chris and I did at Oni Press, which is actually now coming to an end. We're just in the middle of the final story arc. Uh, we just published issue 54 a couple oh, wow. of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, we're going to finish at issue 60. But we have three lovely hardback editions, the apocalyptic editions, as we call them, available right now, which go up to about issue 39, I think. Um, and obviously, we, you know, the We'll finish those and the whole series will be available in that format eventually. But we also have trade paperbacks and we're up to volume nine at the moment in the trade paperbacks. Sweet. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, This has been great. Um, It's been my pleasure. It's been fun. Hopefully we'll have you back again sometime. I would very much like that. Well, we will all be checking out... Well. We read Umbral, but we will be pushing it on <laughs> other people and hopefully Thank the people much. that we can't, you know, push it on in person and pass on the volumes too. We'll check it out in stores. We are back, and we are here to chat about X-Men Days of Future Past, the long-awaited sequel to X-Men First Class, and the return to the franchise by franchise first director, Brian Singer. Um, this is the first one since X2, which was long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it also marks the return of many, many cast members that have not seen since X3. So, you know, Patrick Stewart's back, Ian McKellen's back, um, Ellen Page is back. Sean Ashmore, I believe, is uh, who plays right. Iceman, yeah. <laughs> is back, but also sees the return of many of the first class uh, cast members as well: Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, and of course, Hugh Jackman is 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 in the film as well. Because just a little, you can't really and have Hugh it. Hugh Jackman's veins, yes, <laughs> and Hugh Jackman's oh, butt, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some reviews said it, they find it impossible that he looks better now. Than he did when he was like twenty five or whatever when he did the first movie, um, but Moen Thor has been good for him. <laughs> but so we have we, we've been talking about this movie for it feels like since we started doing this show. It's been rumored, um, not that long ago, uh, Steve uh, and Bob did a book club about Days of Future Past, and now we have the movie. It's here. Um, we are now. It's I believe it's our third comic book movie of the summer. Our, th- our third of the four big ones um, for the summer. So, Bob. 
overall thoughts. And I should say, if you guys have not seen or listened to one of our uh, comic book movie review shows before, <clears throat> the first half will be non-spoilers. It'll be general impressions of the movie, both good and bad. And then we'll give a spoiler warning, and then we'll dig more into um, exact spoilers. But we are going to talk about events of the movie. We're going to talk about things that happened. So if you do not want to know anything about X-Men Days of Future Past, stop listening now and go watch the movie and come back and, and listen uh, along. Bob, overall thoughts of X-Men Days of Future Past? Well, I need to talk about this in two different ways. Okay. So one is well, here the focus will be on this movie and not about mm-hmm. the book and all right, the yeah, rest of Right, of course, it. yeah. Right. I love this movie. Mm. Uh, the tone of it, you, you have heroes really acting heroically, a great sacrifice being made because we're not sure what the outcome of mm. what this mission is going to be. Love the 70s setting. They got a lot more of it right than they did the 60s one in first class. Mm. I had some qualms about <laughs> that. As someone who grew up then, mm. they got some of the music wrong and the fashion's a little off. But they took that attention to detail from what you see in... I hate this major motion pictures with mm-hmm. you know, American Hustle or something. Let's get everything absolutely right. <gasps> mm-hmm. Everything was spot on. The usage of things like the Paris Peace Talks and Nixon and all the rest of it. The McAvoy, Fassbender, and then Stewart and McKellen stuff I- interacting with each other across time and through their minds and all these other sort of things really put together a nice film. Lots of great action, twists and turns, some unexpected things. Some humor, even though it's pretty grim, mm-hmm. considering what's going on. Lots of great action, too, though. Magneto does some nasty stuff here. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get into more specifics as we go. We'll yeah. pass this around a little bit, and then we'll do some of my cons later as okay. we go. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll go next. I mean, for me, I, I agree, Bob, most most what you're saying. I mean, I love the movie. Um, I think that, for me, I think it is the best X-Men movie X2 still might be my favorite X-Men movie just mm-hmm. because of the time and place I saw it and it really being the first time and the, and the beginning, I think, of um, Singer and those group of people being able to show off being less apologetic for it being a comic book movie because the first one is kind of is towing a lot of lines, trying not to be silly, trying not mm-hmm. to be all these things. And I think the second one takes those reins off a little bit more. Obviously, it's in a context of that year it came out when movies were still holding back quite a bit and this movie now holds back much less than than and then any any x-men movie i think before it it still is part of that x-men movie universe um and i i think that initially for me what was a a a, a down a, a a con for me when i before going into it after seeing it i kind of got into the fact that i'm seeing this a, this ongoing story from this franchise that basically almost kicked off um the major you know comic book movie uh, craze that we've been dealing with for now 15 years or, or so um, I thought the performances were amazing and that's the thing that I, I, I take away from it most of anything else is I feel like Jackman, um, McAvoy and Fassbender when they're together it's just magic for me you know it's unbelievable to me how good they are together I love the interplay especially between McAvoy and Fassbender it's just, it was great in the first mm-hmm. movie it's great here but adding Jackman to that mix it elevates him. It's nice to see him back with these people. You know, he's had really spent two movies kind of on his own or with, you know, kind of subcasts of X-Men. It's cool to see him back in this fray. Uh, most of the humor, I feel like, did come from him a lot of the times, interacting with Magneto and, and with, mm-hmm. with uh, Professor X. I, you know, I, I think that it, for me, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to do too much comparison to you know, other movies, but 
you know, first class to me, started off very, very strong, and then petered out for me by the end of the movie. I feel like this movie um, didn't do that. I feel like it stuck the landing very, very well. I thought the future stuff w- was very cool, and what I liked about what they did there is it felt so grim. I felt like there was no way they could win, and that they, it's tough to do that when you have that many powerful people. So I enjoyed that very much. I thought the movie overall was great. I left it feeling energized and being like, yeah, I want to see the next X-Men movie in this vein. Um, so yeah, the, uh, you know, I have cons as well, but we'll get to those uh, a, a little bit later because my things are mostly mostly pros on it. So I want to let, let it pass mm-hmm. off. Um, Steve, what, what did you th- how did you feel about X Men: Days of Future Past? Uh, I liked it. I I like I liked it a great deal. Uh, I did not love it. I would say that if I had to rank them, that first class is still probably my favorite. Uh, I don't know that it's the best X Men movie, but it's definitely my favorite one. Mm-hmm. Um, in regard to this movie. I thought there was a lot of stuff about it that worked really well. Uh, as you were saying, some of the performances, the McAvoy, Fassbender, and Jackman moments, the moments when they're they're on the plane, they're all in this... Anytime they were all in the same room together, um, there was just such an amazing chemistry between those three. And I think when you had them in the room uh, were some of the best parts of the movie. And like you said, it elevated some of the other performances and elevated um, a lot of the story elements with the, just the passion and how into character they had gotten uh, for this film. And I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I wound up really enjoying Quicksilver. Mm. Uh, I didn't know what to think of him. I still kind of feel as if his inclusion in the film isn't much more of a pissing contest between Marvel and Fox or Disney and Fox but uh, for the time that he's in it, he's fun. Um, his major scene that he has, kind of him displaying his powers, uh, even though we've seen it a hundred times before in other movies, the musical cue and just the the playfulness of that scene was a lot of fun. Pretty much any time that he was on screen, uh, I was smiling. And in such a very dour and dark and severe consequences movie, it was nice to kind of have a have a breather about a quarter of the way through and uh, kind of lighten lighten things up a little bit. Um, Dinklage, I thought, was really good. Peter Dinklage as Bolivar Trask. Uh, I kind of wish that we had a little bit more time with him interacting with the mutants instead of just the, the government heads and stuff like that. But um, I think he did a really good job with what he was given and every time that he was on screen, I've been enjoying him so much from game of Thrones that like any time that he was on screen, I was just super excited to, to see him and to see what he would do with that role. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Uh, I appreciate that it kind of erases a lot of the events, uh, that happened in the last stand. And we've kind of hit the reset button on more than a few things. Uh, I think that was a step in a positive direction. And um, some of the some of the action scenes were, were pretty intense. I have a couple of cons about the movie as well, but um, I mean, overall, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Not my favorite, but but very good. Stephanie, what about you? Um, I liked it a lot. You know, I saw it on Thursday, Friday, Friday. I saw it on Friday. On Thursday? Yeah, I was like, when did I see this movie? Um, I saw it on Friday before I left um, to travel back home. And 
I really enjoyed it in theaters. I don't have a lot of nitpicks. Like, actually, that's not true. Everything that I have that's kind of a con is a nitpick. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not anything major. Um, I didn't have anything, you know, drastic to be like, ah, 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 this. Uh, <laughs> but everything, like, I had was just kind of like, nah, but this. And then, uh, eh, eh. for instance, like, Quicksilver's costume. Everyone was like, you don't know what it'll be like. Like, I was bitching about it on Twitter. Like, you don't know what it'll be like. And I'm like, mm, I still think it looks terrible. And I do not revoke my previous comment. It's still terrible. Um, the only thing I'll say about it, and this is not a... I, I was happy that it wasn't his costume. I thought that it was going to be, like, his yeah. costume. It was just, like, something, something stupid a, a kid would wear. Yeah, yeah. And like that, that, so it's ugly, absolutely, but I wasn't as offended by it because it wasn't like, this is Quicksilver in costume, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only uh, reason I wasn't, I wasn't angry about it. <laughs> my favorite parts of it were, like, my, one of my favorite characters did turn out to be Quicksilver, and there's a scene, again, with no spoilers, uh, that is my favorite. Mm-hmm. It was probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. And then outside of that, um, you see it in the trailer too, but the showcase of um, the new mutants that were seen, mm-hmm. like that haven't been in previous uh, X-Men movies, that was probably my favorite part, like the showcase of their powers. Yeah. Um, Blink, like predict- Blink, yeah. for instance. You see it a little bit in the trailer, but uh-huh. like in watching her in action was kind of like getting a preview of portal the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was so cool to watch. Yeah. And I was like, she, she wasn't in it for very long, but she was easily also one of my favorite characters. I was just captivated by her power. She says like nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she draws your eye. Cause like, she's so cool and she moves so swiftly and like, you're just running through your mind like anyone who's played portal knows that sometimes those games break your brain because you're like (laughs) how do i get to this thing Mm -hmm. and like watching her so quickly like come up with solutions to like their like tactical solutions was just like how is she doing this how is she doing this i'm freaking out out." it was really (laughs) cool so um there there were some people that i couldn't have cared less about aka warpath (laughs) There they are. That's yeah. your power? <laughs> what really? about Bishop? I was, I was so unimpressed with Warpath. I was just like, if he could, you know, be like, ah, oh, the, the enemy is deployed from, you know, the other end of the world, I'd be impressed. But he's like, yep, they're 10 miles out, guys. Why not just give some dude binoculars? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they did not showcase. I, I, don't, I don't even know his power, so I don't even, you know, that was a, it's a mutant I'm unfamiliar with. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I mean, yeah. everyone else was really cool, but I kind of felt like he could have been played up a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Steve, you asked about Bishop? Yeah, I, I I felt like the movie, I still don't know what he does. Mm-hmm. There was never any point in the movie where, I mean, we saw the display of some of the future mutant powers. Uh, Warpath, pretty weak. I don't even remember the guy that turned into flames. That's Sunspot, right? Yeah. Sunspot, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, Bishop, I, I, I saw him glowing red and doing, you know, kind of a mutiny thing, <laughs> but I have not a single clue, unless from the comics, what he does. Yeah. He's able to absorb energy and turn it into power, right? Yeah. yeah absorb like other mutant energy and, mm-hmm. and turn it into like his power. Right, yeah. Well, yeah. Th- that and a couple of other powers that showed up in this movie, I think could have been better explained. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they kind of, you can see how he kind of charges his weapon. By like right. taking another mutant power, mm-hmm. or, or right. I, I don't want to. I don't want to talk spoilers. Yeah. But I mean, there, there's one point 
where you definitely get to see him use his power. I just I didn't know what he was doing with gotcha. it. Gotcha. <laughs> but Stephanie, go go on with with your uh, your impressions of the movie. Um, I thought that the acting was pretty good for the most part. I wasn't as like enamored with uh, Michael Fassbender in this one. Like I don't know. He he's a good Magneto, and I, I like James McAvoy. But I think he, like, Wolverine was a really like he he played a really good part in this, and I liked, you know, I, I liked his his being in it mm-hmm. considering I was I haven't actually read Days of Future Past the comic, which, you know, it's probably a faux pas for a comic <laughs> person. Um but I know he's not actually in the comic. He's right? in the comic, but he's not it's not yeah. he's not playing this role in the No, it, he's yeah. like in it for like three panels, yeah. right? <laughs> um but I, I liked it. I thought it worked for the most part, although there were a lot of like because of him being in it there were a lot of, but how is this possible? <laughs> Moments. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Eh. yeah. I mean, one of the things I liked about it is the way that I feel like Brian Singer and co basically said, yeah, those two movies that happened after X2, before X, before First Class, they didn't happen. That's basically what they're saying, you know? There's moments, and they, they allude to them, but they, 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 he seems to ignore the things that he doesn't think were done right and just kind of move on from mm-hmm. there. And, I mean, you, you could say that there's an issue with that, but I'd rather him just do that than spend half of a movie undoing and unraveling right. things that came, you know, before. So I'm, I'm okay with, with, with that stuff. Um you know, I, I was impressed by the older actors as well. Like, I, I, I didn't think I was going to get this feeling, but when Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen come off the, the plane at the beginning, I was I got, like, a little bit, like, I got, you know, a little, little chills yeah. from it because it's been such a long time, and they are so great at, at playing those roles, and their their relationship and friendship was so good when the moments we got it. <laughs> See, I was so, like, focused on the fact that I was like, oh, they said they deleted Halle Berry scenes. Why is she here? <laughs> so, like, I didn't even focus on that part. I was just like, hey, no, was, no, she she barely does anything. You didn't have to she worry about that She was the much. babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, I won't say it anymore about that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think overall we we... we pretty much liked it because it was a varying degree i mean i think bob and i really liked it and then mm-hmm. you and steve liked it uh bob what were you kind of some of your cons about it well beyond some nitpicky things mm. the score was not particularly memorable mm. other than me. memorable, but it's better than the spider-man score oh um, absolutely oh, god yes but that's not hard to beat <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know the changes the, the sentinels are able to adapt to powers so they can fight against them mm. and adapt them by taking them over yeah uh, Magneto, uh, Mag- Magneto, Magneto gesturing hypnotically, and how does he control them in <laughs> 1964? He put wires in them. Yeah, that's what I think that happens. Yeah, uh, but he yeah. makes he's talking to them and he's gesturing. <laughs> it's like he's a stage magician. It's like, uh. <laughs> but bigger things, honestly, and I understand why, but a little too much Wolverine in the X Men, and Mystique running around as Modesty Blaze Spy Girl, <laughs> to the exclusion of other people in the cast. Mm where you could have had, you could have just balanced it off. What they did was important, but the other people could have had something mm. to do too. And considering how great this movie was in, in a lot of ways, having more of it wouldn't have been so bad. Mm. This is a movie that really played much quicker than it's two hours and five, ten minutes yeah, or whatever yeah. it was. Real, real big problem is honestly forgetting, I'm not going to go to the book yet. We'll go mm. to that eventually. You've got Ellen Page in this movie. She gets to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's a real problem. She's acting concerned and worried and holding his temples and all. 
and you've changed her power set to make her the engine of mm. what goes on here, where in essence, that's Rachel Summers. Mm. Adding that character, forgetting Byrne's book, it's the daughter of Jean and Scott in this future. It would work. She could send her back. You then have all that stuff. Or you've got Bishop, who did travel in time. Mm-hmm. You want to sort of click off that. Have, her, have him send Kitty back to meet Wolverine. He could still be in the movie a boatload. Mm-hmm. And then you have some of those other relationships, too. It would have get fleshed everything out a little bit more. That's about it for me on the negative general side. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. I mean, See, if I could say something yeah, to that, I have a similar uh, qualm with that. Uh, I I appreciate that they were, you know, to speed things along and to, to kind of condense things and, and whatnot. But for all the, the future mutants that they had and for the for all intents and purposes, a few of them were just there uh, to have not included Rachel when you had these other characters um, for her to actually have a purpose and be there and do the thing for Wolverine and, and send him back and such, I thought would have been cool. Or at least if you're going to give Kitty a power set or, or whatever that doesn't exist in the comics or in the movie continuity, even some kind of a quick, like one sentence explanation from her, maybe something along the lines of like second or third degree mutations, kind of like what happens with beast that, you know, the event of X, this happened to me and I'm able to do this now, I think would have kind of would have helped me out. I didn't like seeing her reduced to being kind of a glorified like battery for, Mm -hmm. for the, the mind journey. It was just, it was a a little bit hard for me to swallow. Um, I would have liked to have seen her do more in the film. Mm. Well, I mean, I think to be fair about all that stuff, I mean, I, 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 and look, this is, this is meta. This isn't about the, the actual events of the movie. We always kind of knew that the, the, the future cast members were going to be pretty much cameos in in the movie. And this was really a, a first class sequel more than it was, you know, anything else. And I think that I don't, like, I think that the Rachel Summers thing, I think that is very hard to explain only because. Gene has been dead and Scott has been dead, you know, and they never, we never even saw them have sex. <laughs> I can barely have a child, you know? So I, I think that that's, that's a tough sell to be like, they have a kid who's now grown up and has powers. I think that's a tough sell. Um, the kitty thing, like, I feel like for me, they did enough for me where she was just kind of explaining this, is what she's been doing. And it's not a power set from the comics, but 99% of the people who watch this movie aren't going to have any idea that that's even mm-hmm. a thing. But not even in the movie. When, yeah, when I know, but she- I know, but I'm just saying, like you know, it's like it, it, people have powers. They do, uh, they do other things. I don't think it's a lot to get over. I think it's hard for us to get over because we know. Because um, I was like, okay, like it's just like an adaptation, a tweaking of what happens, obviously in 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 the actual comic. I thought it was nice that they at least kept her sort of central to what happens. To you know, the central like getting people to where they had to go. And she doesn't have a lot to do, but I feel like it was still like a heroic thing to do because she basically is risking her life and withstanding a lot of personal pain to, to do what she, she's doing. Um, but I totally get where you guys are coming from with, with, with that criticism. Um, you know, for me, my main cons are, you know, actually, see, if you mentioned Dinklage, he's, at, uh, I think he's fine in the movie, but like you said, I, I, there's not much of him doing, right. doing much of anything except being like, I want to kill all the mutants. And that's basically all he says the entire movie. And he's a very good actor, but the, uh, Trask isn't given a lot to do. Uh, and, yeah. and so because of that, I don't really care about the villain very much. I'm much more focused on, and I think this is not a problem necessarily, but I'm much more focused on the Magneto and the the Mystique, the, you know, kind of antagonistic relationship that's going on between them and, and 
um, Wolverine and, and Xavier. So that's if I'm very much more focused on. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Sentinel stuff for me, you, you, and this is not, this is, again, it's not a spoiler because you learn this the first two minutes of the movie. They have this adaptability where they can, you know, if Sunspot's shooting fire at them, it becomes like ice. So you can't affect them, blah, blah, blah. I understand the reason behind it, and I like the reason behind it because it's saying basically what I said before is they can't win. They, they, there's no there's no winning for the X Men here. They can't they have a miraculous come back and save the future. Mm-hmm. That's why they have to go back in the past and they have to stop before it happens. I understand that, and I, I I like that they made it that bleak. It was a good way to make it that bleak. It makes the fights in the future much less interesting to watch, though, because you know already know what's going to happen. The only thing like Blink is very interesting in it because she her power is not they can't adapt to her power. You know they can't warp themselves so they're able, she's able to use her powers to outsmart them which i thought was really really cool um but you know you had kind of look it was great to see bobby drake become Iceman and 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 you know surf around on the ice and really for the first time ever in these movies really be Iceman. that was really really cool i loved that they 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 hinted the relationship between her, him and kitty i thought that was that was really nice mm-hmm. as well um but like i just want sunspot just basically got to shoot fire and do nothing yeah um yeah. So, but we got to see like some cool Magneto stuff in the future. You know, as much as I don't like Halle Berry as a character, we got to see a, a pretty cool storm moment in it using her powers, which we haven't really ever seen her go that crazy in the movies before. So, I feel like that stuff could have been more, but then it would have taken away from the the seventy stuff. And I just really, really loved that seventy stuff quite a bit. Um, yeah. Stephanie, where were some other um, kind of cons you had for the movie? Well, I guess what you kind of said, too, you know, a lot of it, my problem, I guess, it's a good movie and I liked it, but I found it pretty forgettable for me. Like, First Class, I was really excited about because it was like the first X-Men movie. I was kind of just like, this is the best, (laughs) minus Emma Frost, but this is the best. (laughs) Um, And this one, I don't know, I, I liked it. But it just kind of like after I was out of the theaters, like it wasn't that it fell apart or anything. It was just kind of like I didn't have any desire to see it again or whatever. Um, And I think like Trask. You know, a lot of the X-Men villains, I mean, villains, period, just sometimes have weird motivations. Mm -hmm. Um, But his motivations, he doesn't really have any Mm -hmm. motivations. He's just like, it's not, mutants killed my parents. Mm -hmm. It's not, mutants burnt down my house. Right. It's not anything. Mutants parked on my lawn. Mm -hmm. It's just like, mutants will potentially ruin my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, he's preparing for something that hasn't happened, and he has all this hate for no no good reason. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my god, he's going to tell us why he hates mutants. No, he just does. <laughs> he's just like, fuck them. <laughs> what else? I'm going to exterminate them. <laughs> They're, th- that one guy in school, he was an asshole, and I am pretty sure, like... 80% sure he might have been a mutant, possibly. <laughs> yeah, that works. So I, I'm kind of just like, oh, <laughs> cool. And then the Sentinels themselves, they look like the robot from Thor. They yes. do, yes. There was a, that, yes, yes. yes. The 70s like, ones were better. The 70 one, 70s ones yes, look way better, yeah. The 70s ones were great. And then the, the future ones, I was just like, what, when's Thor going to show up? Yeah. Is, is he going to... Kill, take down these Asgardian robots. <laughs> the destroyers. Is that a thing that's about to happen. Yeah. Huh? The destroyers. <laughs> um. So I mean, I didn't have like a, I, again. Most of them are just that. My my cons are nitpicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I've, all the bad guys, all of their motives are dumb. <laughs> all of them. Not one of them has like 
a good reason. You know, like, Mystique's on a mission. And that's cool. She's got sort of reasons. But when reason is actually, you know, provided to her, and they're like, she's given alternatives, she's just like, nah, fuck it, I'm unreasonable. Well, she is unreasonable, though. That's she kind is, of the point. But <laughs> I, I, I get that, but... <laughs> It's, I don't know. Well, the thing I got to say is like, I love, I've always loved, and I think this is why a lot of like, Trask stuff pales in comparison because Magneto's reasoning is so fascinating and so almost relatable that when you get to people who are just like, I don't like him because I don't like him, it, it's, it's so much less interesting. Yeah. You know, M- Magneto's whole thing, like that, you talk about scene on the plane, Steve, which maybe my, maybe my favorite scene in the entire movie. Um, that the argument between Xavier and and, and Eric about you know who's in the wrong was was great to me. It was so affecting to me, and I, I loved seeing this struggling Xavier. I, I love that he had an arc because I love that he's not just uh, you know I was young, I got paralyzed, and now I'm wise sage old man who is perfectly happy with his life. Mm-hmm. He goes through everything that everyone goes through where he can't deal with his station in life and has to adjust to it. Um, I loved seeing that. And I love that the movies and singers, X movies have always dealt with this, but this idea of acceptance and, um, and peace above, you know, hatred and violence. Um, it's an X-Men theme, of course, running through the books as well, but I love how he, he sticks to that theme and you get to see when you see Xavier finally kind of start to do what Xavier does, you feel, I think the movie has a, has a heart and a center to it that exists because there's such commitment. To that theme yeah when you see logan and charles mm. flipping roles yeah. basically that is just stunning yeah absolutely mm. absolutely um yeah uh, uh so does anybody else have a non-spoiler stuff they want to talk about uh i have a couple of nitpicks but they oh, might be Go. spoiler territory well, so are, are they spoilers is <laughs> one of them's yes. in the trailer if it's it, if you are on the fence about it, it's totally it a spoiler. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll wait till we go spoilers. Okay. So for anybody who's... Sammy, do you have any other non-spoiler stuff you want to talk about? No. Okay, Bob? Mm-mm. No? All right, so if you guys, if you do not want to um, know anything about any spoilers of X-Men Days of Future Past, please tune out now. But if you guys have seen the movie, stay tuned. Um, all right, I'm giving you guys a second. Run to your devices, turn them <laughs> off. All right, here we go. Spoiler time. All right, so... Bob, why don't, you, why don't you start out? Positives, negatives, positives. Do positive. Well, what what do you think of the? the well, let's start with the the big thing, which is the end, right? Which is the when um, Wolverine kind of wakes back up in modern day mm-hmm. or slightly future time, and it's everything's better, everyone's alive. Uh, what did you think of that moment? Oh, I absolutely love that segment. Now, there's one bit of where are we? Is mm-hmm. this twenty twenty three? I'm thinking he's got gray in his hair, mm-hmm. but they don't really make a point of telling you. You just got to sort of figure it out. Yeah. That the the moment for mm-hmm. me where he walks into this room and starts seeing it's the school again, looks down the hallway and there's Jean Grey standing there. I welled up in the theater. I got to <laughs> tell you. And then the interplay with Scott, and patting him on the shoulder. And yeah. the, 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 it's they have the same relationship, but knowing that Logan's the only person who remembers what's happened, yeah, lends a poignancy to that that is absolutely one of the highlights in this entire series of films for me. That mm-hmm. is just. That's a that's a real X Men moment right there. Yeah. Uh, now, did anyone notice what I think is Rogue's daughter running through that scene? Oh uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a little girl with the skunk stripe. Yeah, yeah. And since you see she and Bobby together, now I want to see this movie again. Was she wearing gloves? 
I couldn't see. I couldn't Because I'd like to know, does she have her powers I, back after having given them up? I think you erase X3. Yeah, I think okay. you erase X3, if you think about any of that stuff. Um, Stephanie, what did you think of the ending? Um, I, I liked it. Uh, I don't think like, I was too emotionally invested in it. I, I don't know. I, I liked how it all came out. I, I don't think I was really one way or the other, though. It kind of just fit with the movie itself. You know, it was kind of the only way it could have happened. Although, and, and, and then you brought back, like, James Mars, Marsters? Mars, Mars, Marsden. 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 And the whole, like, he goes to brush away Gene's hair, and he's like, don't touch her! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, them shenanigans. But, yeah. yeah, stay away yeah, from I my like, girl, yeah. I like the part, like, that he doesn't know, like, his brain doesn't auto-fill in what's happened. Yeah. And I liked the professor being like, Ah, yeah, we have lots to talk about. I like that more than any of the other stuff. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. That moment when when Stuart realizes, you know, where he's been and and, and that he's finally back. You know, mm-hmm. that I, I love that that moment. Well, I'm sure great. he can also see, right? Like, yeah, that's true. He can read his did. mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you have a history <laughs> class to teach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Steve, what do you think of the ending? Uh, I, I, I'll say that I appreciated it. I definitely didn't get the, I, I wasn't moved emotionally by the, uh, the Gene and Wolverine stuff. I thought it was sweet, but the moment between that, that unfortunately that Bob had loved so much between Cyclops and Wolverine kind of brought me back to those other, to the, to the older movies and reminded me of just how much of a dick, uh, Cyclops has been in this series and it, it kind of took the the tenderness away from it for me. I appreciated the joke, but at the same time, I was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, I do like the idea that we're kind of scrapping so much of what everybody deemed to, to most people deemed to be wrong with the series and perhaps some of the major missteps that they've made with it in the past. Uh, I loved seeing the school fully functional. I thought that was really cool. It kind of gave me hope. Maybe in the future for a uh, Wolverine and the X-Men school-related spinoff, I would really love to see that and maybe meet some of the other students and breathe some new life uh, into the franchise. I think that would be pretty cool down the road. Uh, but yeah, I mean, moving forward, if we can, if we can move forward with, with X-Men, X2, and I guess First Class and this one... As the main continuity, I, I think we're going to be in much better shape uh, going forward. So I, I appreciated the ending for for doing that much for the franchise. Yeah. I kept waiting for the ending to be like fake, for mm-hmm. it to be a dream. When he saw Gene, I was like, oh, it's something going on. Something's messing with his brain or something like that. But oh, uh, that would have been terrible. Yeah, it would have been terrible. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I like that it's nebulously in the future because at least plenty of space for them to do other stories and. What they've already said is recast those kind of core original X Men as y- with younger actors mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, to kind of put them into new stories because we don't know those stories anymore. Because like we said, much like the the JJ Abrams Star Trek, now it's all new stories because they've kind of re- they splintered the timeline and reset it. Also, a bunch of new stories with Wolverine as well. We have no idea what happened to Wolverine in that time. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what the, the kind of the cycle of him getting the adamantium is. Um, you know, there's that moment at the end where we see that Stryker has been replaced by you know Mystique. But who knows if that just delays the inevitable what, what happens, which I, I can only assume he's not going to have bone claws for the, the entire mm-hmm. run of the series because I would not yeah. like that at all. <laughs> His indestructible bone claws, yeah, yeah. amazingly enough. Yeah, I just, well, he's an indestructible guy. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind the bone claws. I thought it was 
uh, but I, I, it's so not the the iconic look that I want for you know the Wolverine. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that that ending, like you guys all said, it fits. It fit very very well. I liked having Scott back. You know, for me, he was never a dick in those movies. Just yeah. very, very underused in those movies. Yeah, I think I, I can't speak to your thought process on it, Steve. Obviously, but I think for a lot of people, they're reading the the recent book Scott <laughs> backwards into those movies because he's been a jerk in the books for a mm. long, long time. Oh, I like I in the current continuity. I enjoy him a great deal uh, in the books. Actually. I hate him. I can't stand him. <laughs> oh, I like he's I like terribly him a lot. For, yeah. for my. From yeah. from my Claremont Byrne point of view, this is not Scott. The Scott of those first couple of movies kind of is. He's yeah. in charge, mm-hmm. and this interloper shows up and acts like a big shot. And it's, yeah. well, no, this is my thing over here, and go somewhere else. Yeah, and, he never got a chance to really do his thing, though. Yeah. He was kind of cut off. He was mind-controlled in one of them. He dies yeah. very early in the other mm-hmm. one. You know, it's there's not a lot of time for him to do his thing. and Or you show off his powers either, which I was always disappointed that we never got really a good display of yep. those powers. But I like that they're back. I like that they're there to there to use if they ever want to do flash forwards or whatever they're going to do going forward because we don't really know yet mm-hmm. what the next movie is is going to be timeline wise because they've kind of said conflicting things over the amount of time. But I, I think the ending was good and I think that it fit and it's really funny to me how somehow this character that they created in X Men Two is be- William Stryker has become like the like the lifeblood, the centerpiece of like every yeah. X Men movie that ever gets made. Um, yes. I don't really mind it because he's a great villain in, in X2, but I, it's just weird to me that he, he keeps coming back in every, in every movie. Um, and then, I mean, before we get into, we dive back into the movie, we obviously, we're here at the end, so let's talk about the after credits sequence very quickly. Um, after the credits, we, we're, we're just over the, obviously the Egyptian desert, and a mutant has his hands up and is putting together um, the uh, the pyramids in front of people, and they are chanting, um, which I can never say the name right. It's his actual name, Ibn Aben, whatever, Aben yeah. Sir, whatever yeah. it is. Um, and then we we pan around and we see young, very young Apocalypse with four horsemen s- sitting yeah. behind him. Um, Stephanie, we chat a little about this kind of via text message. You, you, <laughs> you the, the 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 teaser didn't really do anything for you, right? Yeah, I kind of felt just meh about it maybe i mean i've read like a little bit of apocalypse stuff but mostly in uncanny x-force mm-hmm. um and little bits and pieces here in the x-men stuff i have read but i, I don't know like i just felt that it, it, it didn't do much for me i was like oh i waited around for this huh well that's cool i guess mm. like i don't know it just felt silly not silly even just underwhelming i guess and it's uh it's N Saba Nor is is Very is, 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 is real name. Uh and sorry, Seven, go ahead. I thought too, like, I mean I don't even think I really cared to even focus on the horsemen that were there too. But like I saw it with Bill and he was like, Is that the living pharaoh? Is that supposed to be the living pharaoh? I love the living pharaoh. <laughs> yeah, because like it just I don't know. It meh I know, when they pan around and it's his blue face. It's pretty obvious that it's apocalypse. Four guys on horses. Yeah. yeah. Um, Living Pharaoh might have been fun though. You, you're, 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 I have no idea who it is. It's Neil Adams. I, I figured out Roy it was Thomas. like yeah. apocalypse because <laughs> the next movie is yeah X Men apocalypse. apocalypse. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> um, Steve, what about you? All right. Well, first of all, it's five four Montreal, Bob. Oh, we're getting better. <laughs> How much time left? Forget still it. Still gonna Forget lose. It. I'm not sure. I'm not gonna take up too much okay. of our podcasting time. Or oh, any just started of the it. third. Just started the third. Uh, third period. Good. So, 
Um, the end uh, thing, I'm kind of in the same boat with Steph, uh, but maybe for a different reason. Um, I haven't read a whole lot of Apocalypse, but um, my 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 dis not my disinterest, but just my my kind of like okay, so that's what we're gonna do next kind of thing. And we'd already known about it for a while because it was announced, which was kind of anticlimactic, I think, in a way when when they announced it so early that I expected the after credit sequence to be that. Um, as much as I, I did enjoy Days of Future Past, I am definitely personally clearly getting X-Men, like X-Film fatigue a little bit. Um, as much as like Bobby was talking earlier about how you appreciated how all these years later, I mean, those movies came out in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. That you're still seeing that world, you're still seeing those characters, and you're still seeing that story play out all these years later. I kind of feel the opposite about it in that I'm, I'm a little, like, I'm kind of feeling a little done on the whole Brian Singer X-Men world. I don't feel like the movies have done a whole lot technologically and haven't really taken advantage of some of the things that we can do in the movies now that they still look like they're the movies that were done in the two, in the early two thousands. Um, so at the idea of having yet another one of these, um, doesn't really excite me all that much. I kind of want them to reinvent this franchise a little bit, put a little bit of a polish on it, maybe spruce up the costumes a little bit enough with the black leather. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know much about apocalypse. I could come to love him for all I know, the little bits and pieces that I've, I've, read of him have been decent but nothing enough to to make me see the little bit that they gave us and be like woohoo <laughs> so um i don't know I, I i i i want some new life breathed into the the fox x-men franchise i think they could use it um i mean i'm gonna disagree with you but totally about the visual stuff because that quicksilver scene it, it there's nothing like we would have seen in the early 2000s it's very matrix though I don't know, dude. That scene is pretty awesome. We've never no, it's, seen, it's great. never it's seen great, super would speed it, would power it have been done that way Just as me. awesome without that needle drop with the music in the background. I'm just saying, it, it was a really cool scene. It was probably my favorite scene in the movie, to be honest. But I've seen it before. A super speed scene like that? I don't. I've never seen super speed done. Not well, not like super that. speed. I'm talking about the effect itself. The the bullet time, slow everything down. Very clever very funny, very cool. And he's taking the fist and he's putting it t to the guy's face and he's moving the bullets around. I, I loved all of it. I just, I just don't think that it was anything new. I mean, I, okay. I guess, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, no, you could, you yeah. could totally disagree with me. That's fine. I just personally, I, 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 we both see a lot of effects driven films and that wasn't anything spectacular to me. It was fun. But it wasn't like wow. I mean, and the scene where Magneto carries the stadium. Yeah, I want to talk to you about across that, the city. I think is pretty huge and yeah. and epic. Um, and compare it to the moment in three where it's the Golden Gate Bridge. And yeah, it didn't come off well at all. Right. First, it was stupid. Yeah. for him to do that, except to make a statement. Yeah, here it was. No, I'm creating a wall so yeah. I can keep this battle here, and I'll do it with RFK Stadium. Yeah, I was. I was lawn. like, I was like, why is he doing it? And then when he did, it, I was like, oh, okay, I got well, you. Can I can I actually Smart. just interject for a second? Yeah, because one of my nitpicks was actually the whole stadium thing. I don't quite understand why he did it other than it being a display of power. And everybody keeps telling me that it was to quarantine the battle. 
But at the end of the movie, Mystique is able to literally walk out of the turnstile and just exit the area. Well, yeah, but so, it's so, yeah. it, but it's, it's one person, sure, but it's so the police cars and everything it can't, Outside, it can't, right. and so the so those four people that that are there are or six people that are in that bunker can't get out, can't get past okay. him, and they can't run okay. anywhere. Um, but uh, I, I, for me, the ending. Look, I'm like I haven't read too much apocalypse stuff either, but the idea of that powerful a character and that level of kind of mythology and stuff getting into it that 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 part excites me. I think the idea because that is more comic booky than anything they've ever done anything to get that deep into that kind of stuff and that's why that stuff excites me well and the idea of who they could use for the four horsemen because they're generally you know mutants who have passed away is generally who he uses so we don't see banshee as one of those mutants i'll be very very surprised um so that's one thing that's why i'm excited about all of that stuff i i think that Think that could be very cool. I know Bob that Apocalypse is a character that well, isn't right kind of time that was X Men was not good for you. Yeah, that's when I had disappeared. But yeah. the, the idea of it, yeah. I think, is very important. And yeah. just for the reason you say, we're now into a different level. Mm. And maybe, um, go ahead, Steve. No, no, I'm, I, I could wait till you're done, Bob. Okay. I just wanted to say one thing about one, a positive thing about the Apocalypse thing. Go ahead. Um, I am for for all that I'm not excited. The one the one aspect of that that I am very very excited about is that we will have a new and actual very powerful villain Mm -hmm. going forward. Um, Like I said, with the whole fatigue thing, I'm kind of done with the the Magneto double cross and the X-Men kind of going against the government and it's, you know, mutants in society. I want them to go against a big villain. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that will make the story a lot more interesting. So in that regard, I I am excited about that ending. See now, one thing related to that, the X Men were always in that realm. Mm-hmm. They have their big villains, but there is always that undercurrent of the political and, right. and the social. And as the movies were coming out, you have to cast your mind back to two thousand and two thousand three. Is the second? one? I think so. Yeah. They those movies at the time were as technologically advanced as anything that was coming out. Yeah. If you look back at it now, it's like. I love Willis O'Brien's stop motion King Kong, and I will take that above almost, mm. honestly, above any other movie ever made is my favorite. Right. But you've got to look at it in its time. Yeah. That was a groundbreaking mm. movie that people couldn't sort out. Mm. The X Men movies of 2000 and 2003, before everything else exploded around us, before yeah. Marvel Studios made Iron Man yeah. or Captain America or The Avengers, these singer movies did something special. And they made these all these other movies possible mm-hmm. at a certain level. Because yeah. even Spider-Man, as good as it was, as much as we love Sam Raimi, it didn't move the bar anywhere. Yeah. It sort of looks like a video game character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the second one, I think, did a little bit more. Absolutely. But I feel like that, that Nightcrawler scene at the beginning of X2 Incredible. still takes my breath away when I watch it. So, oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's amazing. And that was, the, that was the first time you were like, oh my God, they're just doing it. Like, that was, that was one of those moments. Yeah. Now that we're so used to it, now we're so used to them. Like, oh yeah, of course they got it right. You know, of course they're doing the power set. But when they use something like Nightcrawler, the X one, it was a lot of just like Wolverine took out his claws, Cyclops shot like one bolt out of yeah. his thing, lightning bolt from Storm. Yeah, yeah. This was like, oh my god, they're just doing it, and it's it's not. I mean, it's a very popular character, but it's just it was it was amazing to to watch that happen. Um, you know, um, so I mean, that's kind of my thoughts on the end, Bob. What else, give me some? Give me give me a, give me a con that you that you didn't like. Well, the. Not knowing exactly what time it is, I understand what we're doing was mm. we, we reset everything. This does give you the, the one problem with it is since we do know 
that they're alive in 2023, mm. 2024. Any stories they tell now, right. we know they're going to survive because there they are, unless mm. we reset time again. Right. <laughs> you sort of bottled off mm. the top of that story. It made for a really fulfilling finish for me, again, maybe not from people who just saw these movies, but people who lived with Scott and Gene mm. in books all these years, to see that ending come around great they'll then they'll be happy ever after forever mm -hmm. <laughs> and, that, and that's good i don't care what happens in between i've got that <laughs> but i think it constrains their storytelling moving forward mm -hmm. uh yeah. as much as i loved as a pro seeing uh lynn ween and chris Clemens oh yeah that scene actually have lines yeah and he's pretty good at it but i find it really interesting this is the first one of these movies that does not have a thank you to the works of credit to stan jack mm. and there's no john byrne mm. And they apparently didn't ask him. And there are no credits, more than likely, because he and Casada can't stand each other. Right. I mean, or it's a Fox, Marvel, Disney thing. Uh, burns out of the loop entirely. But since he yeah. he wrote this story that right. they used, no, I know, it would yeah. have been nice to throw it. Yeah. Was he going to ask for a check? <laughs> it, it, it just seemed petty, yeah. kind of. And how does this relate to the end scene in Wolverine? Yeah, the Wolverine. Yeah, everyone was saying that. Yeah, well, well, huh? Yeah. Astral projections, different yeah. timeline. Because yeah, yeah. It, Beast postulates time is immutable. Yeah, are we creating another timeline, or is this all reset? And then that scene means nothing. Right. Well, I, I, I'm confused. Yeah, I think that what scene was that, Bob. Well, at the end of the Wolverine, we Wolverine's at the airport, and Charles and and Eric show right, up. Right. Yeah. So w w w where, when, how? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, that could have happened way bef like right before everything went horribly, horribly okay. wrong, you know, and then could let them being reconnected and, and fighting the whatever war they fought that we didn't see. I, that, I mean, yeah, but it's weird that they did that scene and it didn't directly relate. Yeah, um, yeah that, that was a bizarre move. <laughs> what about a pro, Bob? Honestly, I love little stupid stuff. So basically the Morant's tube amp version of Cerebro that all sort of <laughs> explodes with dials yeah. and whatever. Little The little bits of humor... As Hitchcock always talked about, you, you bring up tension and then let it go mm. with a laugh. In the middle of Wolverine's flashback and everything going crazy mm -hmm. as he's slipping backwards and forwards in time, where McAvoy finally just gives up in exasperation, you're an acid. Yeah. <laughs> just as offhanded, and you don't expect it to come from that, or when he strikes back at him with his line from the first movie yeah, where yeah. they try to recruit, yeah, we've met before, yeah, and I'll tell yourself. you what I did. Yeah. <laughs> Little things like that, it's just... Knowing the audience, knowing we need that moment, and you throw it in there, and then we move on again. It's mm -hmm. really masterful filmmaking. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know if anybody caught this, but the opening, one of the opening scenes when we're you know in the in the future, we're like that prison camp, and there's like the, they're shuffling the people along, and there's like a little kid. It's like, he's like I don't know, he looks like like, like his ten or something. Oh like that. yeah, yeah. It's Cable. Oh, I didn't see. I didn't it's Cable because he has the thing on oh, his yeah, eye. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's Cable. I was like, whoop! There he is. <laughs> And the, yeah, the shot definitely that, hovers on him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Stephanie, do you have any? Uh, give me, give me some spoilerific talk. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I don't have like a ton of nitpicks. Um, but like just some things that maybe I enjoy. I guess. Yeah, enjoy. It. It, can be, it, can be, it can be stuff you like. The quicksilver scene in the kitchen. Oh yeah. Was like my favorite. <laughs> it was my favorite thing. You know, I'm sitting there like when they came out of the prison with Eric and they they get surrounded by the cops. I'm like, how are they going to get out of this? <laughs> I don't know why I would think that. <laughs> Obviously they're going to get out of it. 
but I was thinking that, you know, Eric would do something or uh, a make uh, Charles would somehow get his powers back and be crippled and they have to mm. carry him. And I totally like forgot the Quicksilver element of it because I wasn't thinking about his powers in terms of, you know, getting them out of uh, like on as a defensive power. Cause you just don't think about it. Like, it's like, Oh, he can go unlock the door on the other side. So it was like really cool to see him do this thing where he just, while everything was slowed down, he just fucked with everybody. <laughs> like, cause I just didn't think of it that way. Um, and just the little things he had to do to make such a colossus, colossal mess mm-hmm. out of all of it. You know, just, he would like tap somebody on the cheek. And I loved the effect after he, you know, kind of put the pieces in place mm-hmm. and he just went back to where he was and let the chaos happen. And just the smug look of satisfaction was just perfect. I hate that actor so much, <laughs> but it was so great. He did. He wasn't in it enough to kind of get annoying, but he was in it and he was in it exactly the, the right amount to be, great do you know what i mean it was funny at the end of the when they let him go though i was like why would you send him away yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. he seems like he would be really useful in what you're trying yeah. to do um <laughs> and then one of my nitpicks though was he has a little sister yeah what well yeah it's i mean it's wanda obviously yeah, yeah. Uh, no but it's not mo- though it's it? not when they're watching it's tv not wanda well how do you know that though because i read an interview i will get to that bobby <laughs> I read an interview with Brian Singer where there was a scene that he deleted. Okay. So that had Wanda. Oh, okay. Or something. In that thing I sent you before we started. Well, I didn't have time to watch it. Seven, eight. I know. <laughs> it was a video. Well. Just saying. I mean, actually, Anyways, that makes yeah. sense, though, because he, she's supposed to be the same age as him. They're supposed to be yeah. twins. So that actually does make sense. I was pissed off at that because I thought that was, um, you know, like, supposed to be Wanda. I'm like, what the shit? <laughs> uh, but it wasn't. So, yeah, so. So that kind of redeemed it a little bit, but, you know, fairly recently for me. Um, and I loved the Easter egg where he's like, hey, what's your power? And uh, he's like, oh, I can move metal and stuff. Like, And he's like, oh, my mom used to know a guy that could do yeah. that. Yeah. I was like, yes. Yeah. I love that they that they did that, that they um, that he was his son. I, mm-hmm. I think they did that. And I, I like him in, I like him in the movie because I can I can see how he could become the kind of Pietro that he becomes later, who is not as, he's still as smug and still as kind of quick, but he's a little bit more, he's a little angrier, you know, he's a little bit more of an edge to him. You can see that coming. He's, doesn't play he's well more of an others. asshole instead of an imp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can see it coming. You can see him maturing that because seeing what he's looking at on screen and seeing how the world develops and stuff, I thought that was, that was a really good move um, by them. I, I think that too, I think that the way they resolve the mystique stuff, I, I feel like her decision and doing what she decided to do at the end. I like how it says like, this could be a different way for her. You know, maybe this isn't, maybe she doesn't become the, you know, bad guy that she becomes mm-hmm. in, in the, in the future timeline. Maybe she becomes somebody else. And I like that, that I like that it's open. Um, and I just, one of the things I love, love about the X-Men series is that n- nobody is a villain all the time, you know, and nobody's a good guy all the time. They, they're, it's, they're, they're just people trying to do their best, whatever they think that is. Um, and I, I, I did like that a lot yeah, about it. That's her best moment, I think, that, that yeah, in the sequence. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
but overall, I gotta tell you, I loved it. I, 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 I'm, I, unlike like Steve, you said you weren't jazzed about another X Men movie. I was definitely jazzed about another mm-hmm. X movie after seeing it. But awesome. Anybody have a, anything else we want spoiler you want to talk about? Bob, I know you have a like, list. I know Stephanie right. wants to chime in. Go ahead, Stephanie. Just about the ending stuff. Like, it wasn't that I'm not excited for another X Men film, but there's. There is a little bit of an exhaustion, I think, because like they've started to go into that territory where they're canceling out other things that have done. So they're effectively doing a reboot without doing a reboot. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I mean, I'm not excited necessarily for like the apocalypse stuff, but I I mean, I will obviously go see another X-Men movie. So, uh, you know, oh, another great thing about the movie (laughs) seen Halle Berry die, which sounds so mean, but I was like, there's so many people who could play Storm so much better. Mm -hmm. So much better. And I don't mean this in a mean way. Fine, Halle Berry. You like Halle Berry? That's cool. I don't. As an actress, I don't think she's great. I don't think she's great. And to be fair, you guys didn't have to watch the Shark Alley movie that I had to review when I was doing movie reviews, so (laughs) until you get to watch that, you're not allowed to say that I'm wrong for not liking Halle Berry. Good, good point, Stephanie. Uh, Bob. <laughs> Just <putting that> out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Shark oh. Alley. Go ahead. Oh, go, oh, Steph. Oh, oh, And can I just, the Sentinels, the boxes that they're in, the sent- that they're in, the little spaceships, hello, coffins. So weird. <laughs> flying coffins. They do look exactly like flying coffins. exactly what they were. Yeah. yeah. They don't fly very well with a wing. And of steel had dildo ships and like <laughs> x-men had flying coffins coffins yeah. I, i'd say it's an improvement yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. all right bob now okay now we're for me we're getting into someplace else this is a hard movie for me to review yeah with my usual problems mm-hmm. with source material and so on so we get to the, our actual voting for mm-hmm. this <laughs> reflect that but there some of the things that they lost from the original really make a huge difference in how this all plays out as we did our book club you're dealing with a lot of time in that future and that makes all those sacrifices so much more poignant it it deepens all those characterizations and you've now lost kate pride the fact that she's married to colossus spoiler alert for a 30 something year old comic book Mm. story they have kids she has a deep friendship with rachel and with storm they're willing to, to sacrifice everything they've ever lived through for the chance of changing mm-hmm. what happened. Right. That's big stuff. And if you don't spend time in that future with the camps, that they're all wearing those jumpsuits with M's instead of yellow stars. Mm-hmm. That Kitty, when you first see Kate Pride, she's walking through the ruins of Upper West Side Manhattan on Park Avenue and Sentinels are around and it. it's, it's an old World War II movie. Here are the camps. Here are the gravestones of all the superheroes that they're walking past. That stuff's important. Mm-hmm. And it really, it, it's missing here. And I think, it, again, you're making a superhero movie. You're making a best parts. You've got 50 years of X-Men continuity. Right. And you've got to pick and choose. And you have to give them credit for finding the moments within it. Mm. But that stuff missing really, it, it, it hurts me at, at a certain level. There was something else. There's another movie here mm. that you could make that would be better. As much as I enjoyed this, there's one that's better. Mm-hmm. And it's in the pages of the book. Right. I think we were, we were always running this thing, right, where I think that 
I feel like eventually, and I hope we we, we get here at a certain point. I mean, I, I'm loving inter, this inter, interconnected world we're living in right now with these movies that play upon each other. But I hope to, at one point we get to a world where we they can do these kind of one-off stories that have been great in comic books, just as one-off movies mm-hmm. where they're not they're not concerning themselves with you know where the franchise is going wow. and where it's been you know i think that like something like doing something like days of future past as a one off movie or two movies or whatever it would be to encapsulate that story instead of it being in this eight you know film franchise that has you know all of these movies coming after it i think that i think that it, there's a lot of potential at dc also to do that to do these like like dark knight returns like just do that story mm-hmm. and not to worry about what it means for batman in the past and batman for the future I, I hope we get to see that uh, one day, and I think a story like this could definitely have you know have benefited from it. So yeah, I mean, changing out th- some of the changes. It was Senator Kelly whose assassination yes. they were trying to stop, but making it Trask works because mm. then you get the Sentinels involved in that. Don't have to explain that in a second movie somewhere else, right? And you've killed off Senator Kelly. You turned him into a pool of water. He did. <laughs> <laughs> It, with one of Halle Berry's worst moments, following that, that might be as bad as Toad hit by lightning. <laughs> the guy, she, she's taking care of him. He turns into a puddle in front of her <laughs> and goes all over the place. And she walks into the other room. Obviously, they shot it weeks, months yeah, yeah, yeah. apart. Senator Kelly's dead. <laughs> this bland <laughs> monotone. It's, yeah, a little bit of excitement, dread, yeah. fear, uh, <laughs> sorrow. Yeah. Uh, hello, calling yeah. Hallie. Yeah, even revulsion uh, would have been fine. Anything would have been fine. <laughs> now, now it's, it's, again, it's two different movies. There's the movie. Actually, there's three. There's the movie, there's the X-Men movie, and there's an adaptation. Mm-hmm. And they're they're all a little different. They're yeah. all going to get different ratings from me just because of that. Right, <laughs> absolutely. And oddly, there's a someone... On John Byrne's website, a lot of people are asking him about all mm. this, and, and he said some good things about what they're trying to do and, and others, but uh, someone posted, they made a great comic book movie regardless of what was changed from the original source. We all knew going in, we weren't going to get a faithful adaptation of the comic book, but the movie still delivered a good story. Mm-hmm. I'm on board with that. Right. His response was, and this is after pages of people saying right. good things, others oh, bad, but... Someday, when you've had your life's work shat upon by somebody who thinks he can do better, I hope someone is there to tell you how great it is. <laughs> wow. Okay. I I understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I think there. Are, look, I mean, I know he's had a rough go of it with, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. from a lot of people. I think there. I think there. It comes down to the fact that there are some writers who you know who who handle the adaptation of their work better than others i mean look at alan moore who's probably one of the greatest comic writers of all mm-hmm. time he cannot handle it he just can't handle it and it's not saying that that's not anything about weak disposition it's just some people are much more attached to the words they put on a page that any change becomes a personal you know like a mm-hmm. personal stab I- into them and i think john Byrne is definitely one of those guys absolutely um but I mean, he has passion for his work. That's all you can really ask yeah, for. Which isn't a bad thing. No, no. Yeah. From an artist, that's all you can ask for. My hope, and I'm just saying my hope for going forward, this isn't really a, a spoiler or anything, but my hope for the, going forward is that we do get to see these main cast members like Gene and Scott and, and, and you know, uh, Aurora, Storm, and, you know, Kitty and Nightcrawler recast, you know, younger. We get to see stories with these original X-Men doing their thing, getting to do more X-Men-like stuff. Um, that's what I really want to see going forward, you know, because it was ex- look, first class is gr- is great, but and I, I like Banshee's a cool idea, Havoc's a cool idea, but that's not who I want to see. I, I want to see the the main line, like I want to sure. see the, the superstars. Other than Wolverine, I want to see the, the big ones. Yeah, I'd like to see some more Colossus. Yeah, more Colossus. All those characters, yeah. I want to see those core characters done, brought back, and be able to you know 
we, we, we now when you know actors are like i want to do a comic book movie it's not it's not like a just a job anymore it's something they really get into so i want to see that Al, done i want alan coming back yeah i would love alan yeah. coming back but i don't think he's gonna do it no <laughs> he was awesome uh, awesome as nightcrawler um stephanie any closing thoughts on the movie um no i think it's a good solid x-men movie mm. I, I don't think i have anything else to really add outside of what i've you know put in there i didn't love it i enjoyed it though and you know especially when i was in the moment watching it i think most people who are into like the x-men stuff will enjoy it if you haven't already seen it yet although i don't know why you'd be listening to this portion of the podcast if you haven't it's very true <laughs> but if that was the case if you just like listening to spoilers and all that you know whatevs um yeah i don't know i i'll, I'll be interested to see some of the deleted scenes and stuff that um, Singer took out mm. when it eventually gets released on DVD. <laughs> I'm saying Christmas. Yeah, probably around Christmas time. Oh, totes. Yes. Ew, I hate that I just said that. I apologize. It's <laughs> all right. We, we forgive you. Steve, any closing thoughts on X-Men Days of Future Past? Can we get the Beast some new uh, makeup so it doesn't look like a uh, blue teen wolf? <laughs> I grimaced when Kelsey Grammer came back at the end. Yes, yes, that was so going much to be my, my Oh, I like that little moment. Spoilery thingy. I like that too. <laughs> um, no, it was. It's it's good. It's fun. It's um, like I said, not my favorite X film, but definitely uh, enjoyable. And if you haven't seen it yet, definitely go and check it out. Uh, it's a positive step in the right direction for these movies going forward. And despite my misgivings about the future, uh, they do they have laid the groundwork for some very exciting stuff going on. So it's definitely a movie worth seeing. Yeah. Also, you get to see Hugh Jackman's butt. So if that's something yeah. you want to see. Oh, right man. In the moonlight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Bill was like covering my eyes. He's like, don't you look. Don't you look. <laughs> um. The thing I love about him in that role is just, he's just so easy in it now. He's just like, he just lives in it, which I think is, is really cool. All right. So that's our, that's our thoughts on X-Men days of future past. Um, let's hit some, uh, let's hit some new releases for this week. Ah. Let's talk about some comic books that are coming out Trees. Um, from Archie comics. We've got uh, Mega Man number 37 from Avatar press. We've got crossed badlands number 54. God is dead. Number 13 and red Rover, Charlie number six um from boom studios we have bravest warriors number 20 we have clive barker's nightbreed number one we've got um midas flesh number six peanuts number 18 um, from dark horse comics we've got captain midnight number 11 we've got conan the avenger number two we've got elf quest the final quest number three furious number five halo escalation number six conan the conqueror number four of six Mass Effect Foundation, number 11. Massive, number 23. Mind Management, number 22. Pariah, number 4. We've got Serenity Leaves on the Wind, number 5 of 6. We've got Star Wars, The Star Wars, number 8 of 8. We've got Star Wars Legacy 2, number 15. And Star Wars Rebel Heist, number 2. We've also got Tomb Raider, number 4. And Vandroid, number 4. From DC Comics, we've got Adventures of Superman, number 13. We've got All-Star Western, number 31. Aquaman, number 31. Batman, number 31. Batman Eternal, number 8. Catwoman, number 31. Dead Boy Detectives, number 6. We've got The Flash, number 31. 
Um, we've got He-Man, the Masters of the Universe, number 13. Injustice Gods Among Us, year two, number five. Justice League Dark, number 31. Larflees, number 11. We've got Nightwing, number 30, which is the final issue. We've got Red Lanterns, number 31. We've got Secret Origins, number two. Um, Suicide Squad, number 30. Superman, number 31. It's also the final issue of Suicide Squad. From Dynamite Entertainment, we've got Deja of Mars, number one of four. Um, we've got Dr. Spectre, Master of the Occult, number one. Um, I believe that's Mark Wade, I think. Sounds right. That book. Um, and Twilight Zone, number five. From IDW, we have 24, number two. City, the Mind and the Machine, number four. We've got Ghostbusters, number 16. Godzilla, Rulers of Earth, number 12. We've got Monster... Nope, that's a second printing. We've got My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, <gasps> number 19. Samurai Jack, number eight. We've got Star Trek, number 33. Transformers. Robots in Disguise? That is correct, Oof. number 29. Damn, Bob. X-Files, <laughs> season 10, number 12. From Image Comics, we've got Cowl, number one. From Kyle Higgins, we've got uh, Chew Revival, number one. Um, whoa, 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 wait, it's a crossover. Oh, okay. And two and revival. Just a one shot too. Oh, it's just a one, it's just a one shot. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Dead Body Road number six of six. We've got Deadly Class number five. We've got Fuse number four. We've got Sex number thirteen. Sheltered number nine. Skull Kickers number twenty-seven. Southern Bastards number two. Sovereign number three. Thief of Thieves number twenty-one. Trees number one. Trees. From um, Ellis Warren Ellis. That's his oh. name. <laughs> Ellis, Ellis, Warren. Ellis, Ellis Warren, um, and uh, Anthony Johnson's Umbral Volume One, Out of the Shadows, Trapper Back is out oh. today. So if you liked his interview, definitely pick that up. Yeah, um, we did an interview. We did do an interview uh, from Marvel Comics. We got All New Invaders Number Five. Uh, we've got Avengers Number Thirty. Um, we have got Deadpool Number Twenty Nine. Uh, we've got Dexter Down Under Number Four. Disney Kingdom Seekers of the Weird, number five. Fantastic Four, number five. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy, number 15. Inhuman, number two. Iron Man, number 26. Iron Patriot, number three. We've got... It's a lot of like reprints and stuff. Mighty Avengers, number 10. We've yes. got Miss Marvel, number four. Um, we've got Thanos Annual, number one, Thunderbolts, number 26, Uncanny Avengers, number 20, Winter Soldier, The Bitter March, number four of five, and Wolverine, number seven. Um, from Valiant Entertainment, we have Harbinger, number 23, and Shadow Man, End Times, number two. From Xenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales Presents Neverland, Age of Darkness, number three. We've got Grim Fairy Tales Presents Wonderland, number 23, Wonderland Asylum, number five. Wonderland, Clash of Queens, number four. There's a lot of Oof. Alice in Wonderland stuff going on over there. And that's all the releases for this week. Um, I am at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve? I am at dead underscore anchoress on Twitter. Stephanie? I'm at Hello Cookie. Bobby, email address? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. And Bob, do you have anything that you need to say before the show's over? No, we'll, no. Get, we'll get to them next time. Okay. <laughs> I have something to say. All right. Oh. Listen to new Misfits. I was going to pimp your show, out. Stephanie. Oh. Come on. Oh. Come on. Then. Have some faith in me. I was just checking. <laughs> it was a very good show, too. Yeah, we talked about... No, go ahead, Stephanie. Stop. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. We talked about Muppets with Curtis Weeb. Yeah. And we said that we wouldn't interview him, but then we did. <laughs> so, you know, there's... 
there's stuff about rat queens and Curtis talks about upcoming projects. Right. So you you should go check it out. And also he talks about Muppet porn. So if that's like your bag, that's that's a thing that's on Muppet or <laughs> Misfits this week too. <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's a cheap way, because I, I, I won't spoil it. <laughs> it's true, Bob. <laughs> yes, it's but only true. only in looking at it at a certain light does he actually talk about it's Muppet porn. It's not Muppet porn. Oh, you guys are spoiling Don't ruin the everything. promo. Come on. <laughs> why why you not be able to tune into our family of podcasts? Come on, guys. Yeah. Because it's a Come family on. show. Oh, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a thing that happened. If Stephanie's on the show, it's not a family show. <gasps> Awkward cough. <laughs> also, I'd like to apologize to everybody who met serious Stephanie on this week's interview with Anthony Johnston. Hey, we kicked ass on that interview. That was fun. <laughs> I know, but it was so serious. And yes, can you please tell us about your writing process? That's your job, Stephanie. When you're running the interview, no, you got to be serious. I know, Bobby. It's like a whole new world. <laughs> oh, Break into the song. Go for it. <laughs> you don't have to be the you don't have to be the goofy sidekick anymore. You have to be <laughs> every moment red letter. <laughs> All right, that's enough. <laughs> Cut it out. Cut My it girlfriend's out. staring at me from across the Cut it out. Hi, Bronwyn. Hmm. Also, <laughs> also, make sure you guys check out uh, Talking Games every Thursday. Um, yeah. The show is San Steve this week, but Justin is going to be stepping in and hosting oh. this week's yes, Talking Games. He'll do a fine job. He will do, he'll do a great, great job. So guys, make sure you check out that every single week and look out on for the Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Talking Games. We do uh, multiplayer stuff every Wednesday and first looks on games as well. Um, so make sure you guys check that out. Um, talking movies as well. Brian Verderosa, it's, it's actually his 30th birthday happy while we're recording birthday, this. Happy birthday, Brian. Happy birthday, Brian. Um, so happy birthday to him. Uh, he had a uh, fun barbecue this past weekend for Memorial Day, and he recorded kind of a podcast in, in between getting drunk. And uh, I was on a segment of that. We talked about uh, upcoming directors and also really embarrassing stories about Brian of course uh, growing, uh yeah drinking so guys check that out if you want uh, up on, on talking comics uh right now um and if you guys want to get in touch with us it's at talking comics on twitter facebook.com slash talking comics and podcast at talking is that email address and make sure you guys keep going to talking commenting on articles and join the forum and become mm-hmm. part of our awesome awesome community all right, so I think that's going to do it for <laughs> this week's Talking Comics podcast for Bob. Read X-Men 141 and 142. Do yourself a favor. Steve. Yo, yo. And Stephanie. Bye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>